Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Hotline League. It is an amazing episode because we just had a crazy playoffs weekend, the first weekend of playoffs here for LCS. Uh, of course, I want to shout out to Grubhub and Alienware for sponsoring the episode. But first, let me introduce my constant co-host, Mark Zimmerman. How's it going, Mark? It's going great. Today was a great day. Do you have Do you have more energy than you did last week? I think so. Okay. You you, uh, you did you did the sh uh, your stream this morning, right? Yeah, so I streamed. I didn't actually end up recording the blame game because <gasps> the bath our our bathroom has been having problems. The lights keep like flickering and stuff. So someone came through to fix it, uh, and then they came when I was streaming. And then it just felt weird to be screaming in this room by myself when someone was in the toilet. And I initially was like, "Oh, I have a meeting that I'm in, so don't mind me." But then when people are like doing text-to-speak do donations about buttholes in my ears and stuff like that, I'm like, uh, I'm uncomfortable responding to this. So I just, I, I stopped. What streaming. a coward. All right. Well, coward. hopefully that doesn't mean we get another delayed episode this week. We shouldn't. I'm going to, sh I should have like a thing for Juan tonight, which is usually when he, he gets around to it anyways. Okay, cool. Well, excited to see it. What is the topic? Can you say? Um... It's Cloud9 versus 100 Thieves exclusively. I'm not really touching TL versus EG. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, looking looking forward to it. I see that you dodge the, the topic. Well, it's like a, it's a, it's everything. It's just, did Summit fuck up? Is the draft bad? Is Winsome bad? Is... I didn't know if you were going to, if you were intentionally avoiding it because it's something 100T related and Papa Smithy's here. You don't want to... No, I basically don't even really talk about 100 Thieves in it. I don't think they did anything oh, good at like all. Oh, it's like most content that people make then. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you guys actually won. I think Cloud9 lost. Mm. You guys got really lucky to 3-0 them like that. Mm. Uh, that is the, that seems to be the Reddit take. Uh, so, well, we'll talk about that as... As mentioned, Papa Smithy's here. Welcome to the show, Papa Smithy. Hello, hello, Travis. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy. I mean, I'm sure it's been a good couple of days. Did you, was, whenever you guys went to the studio on Saturday, in your mind, did you think 3-0 was a possibility? Yeah, I think I talked to a lot of people before the series and said 3-0. I think I saw Jat and mentioned the same thing to him. So we came in super, super confident. I think after the chips fell and we saw the best of five was going to be against C9, losing wasn't really a thing we considered at all, especially after the victory last week. So, no, it was pretty straightforward for us. Nice. Well, uh, congratulations again. I mean, obviously, it's just the first round, but it's uh, it's still, I think, a, a lot of people had uh, C9 winning that. I think on the, an the analyst desk... It, they still mark was were you on the no you cast on saturday right you didn't do desk yeah i was casting the series i'm actually yeah. kind of mad that the 100 thieves did as well as they did because like i only got three games eg versus tl banger series yeah i thought it was interesting that it was a tricast for our series but not for the second series of the week i don't know if that's someone dropped out or you just they just added someone on to ours but I thought that was interesting maybe you guys yeah. just assumed it would be the banger I think, yeah, I'm not, I didn't like really pick anyone's brain, but my assumption would be that they assumed if there was going to be a 3 0 this weekend, it would have been the other one actually. And they thought this would be the closer series. But, well, uh, we will talk about that, I am sure. I don't know, Mark. Um, I guess we can do a quick, quick check in on your viewing stuff because we normally, we haven't done that, I think, the last week. So, what have my you been viewing? Up to this? Yeah, what have you been, what have you been watching? 
oh. we're gonna be doing. Normally, uh, we spend the first five minutes just talking about what you think of the latest Batman movie or something. Yeah, well, so we started watching. Well, we continue watching the Dropout. That's really good. Um, started watching Ranking of Kings. Finally, that's really good. Watched the Jujutsu Kaisen movie. It was pretty good, but I, at some points, I was just like confused about how all this ties into the main plot because like some stuff happens that does. I'm like, huh? So we'll see how that ends up going. Uh, I, I watched Triangle. Oh, I think Triangle sucks. It's supposed to be a mindfuck movie, and I watched it, and I'm pretty sure it's just like not nearly as deep as people want it to be. I watched all the theories about it to see if I was like missing something, and I'm pretty sure people just are giving a movie that is poorly thought out credit for things that don't add up and be like, no, no, it doesn't add up because then they just headcanon a bunch of shit to make it add up. Somebody messaged or somebody was talking to somebody the other day about you and they were like, what does Mark do? Like in mm. his free time. Mm. And, uh, I was like, well, he spends a lot of time with Ashley and they were like, yeah, but what do they do? And I was like, I think they watch a lot of stuff and they're like, so he just watches stuff. And then I thought about how every time we do this show, you've had like five different shows or movies you can talk about. And so I think in that moment, I had this realization that that is how you spend most of your time is you are just watching something. I'm either working or I'm watching something or I'm playing Elden Ring. Or Genshin. Or Genshin. Yeah. Or Genshin, yeah. Well, now oh, we know. Oh, Moon Knight. Yeah, Moon Knight started. I only watched one episode of Moon, Moon Knight so far. Uh, that was good. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff, dude. There's a lot of, like, there's like 20 streaming services. There's always something new coming out. I haven't even watched, I haven't torrented Halo. The new Survivor is going on right now. I watch Survivor every week. What do you mean torrent? Tor you mean watch on Paramount Plus? Are we sponsored by Paramount Plus or any streaming related services? I don't think we want to advocate illegal activity on this show. Really? I'm a, I'm a communist, man. Fuck those big corporations. You go out there. You have the power. You get the, the steal back the means of production of a $100 million TV show and watch the end product for free. I think that's what communism stands for. Anyway, Steve says new Top Chef is out. So uh, he's in the chat and he's contributing. So that's great. Uh, all right. Well, now that we've gotten Mark's uh, both his recent film and television reviews plus his uh philosophy uh on the world let's my macroeconomic philosophy talk to uh papa smithy a little bit about how things are going <laughs> i don't know mark you have any questions you want to ask about uh this this past week's series or anything in general before we get into calls i have a couple that i'm curious about but i also don't want to snipe i like they're not super original you know so i yeah. don't want to snipe a caller's topic well, I, I would ask uh, Papa Smithy, I feel like for the majority of the split, there was a sense of like, okay, this 100T roster is the same roster as last year. It won last year, but clearly Cloud9 and TL have just put together like better lineups because they're just uh, performing better throughout the, the course of the regular split. It wasn't really towards the end that you guys had that, that pretty big win streak. Uh, but I think a lot of people just kind of felt like they had seen the ceiling for your lineup um, because there was a lot of expectation, right? That like you guys would win lock in coming in from last year and all that stuff. So I guess I'm kind of curious uh, if you can get into a little bit of like how this split went from your perspective. I mean, we heard 
from FBI and Huhi that both of them thought that they were struggling for a long time and were kind of trying to figure stuff out. Abadage also seemed to have a slump. So what, I mean, what was going on and what allowed you guys to really climb up to the top near the end? Yeah, I think it's natural that a lot of people are going to be drawn towards new lineups, you know, shiny roster changes and um, people coming in from other regions. Like, it's easy to be attracted to what's new, you know? It's like, kind of like a cat with shiny things. I know cats are a bad topic. Yeah, on this, yeah my we bad, don't need to but, talk about um, that. And so, for some reason, the fact that even, even though it's been what, I think the stat was that like no team had gone unchanged after winning in summer for a very, very long time. Like, even though there's some novel nature of that, I think people were just, you know, ready to move on to um, TL, understandably, with some, you know, big new names there, or C9, especially propelled by LS. And it's kind of understandable that you get lost in the shuffle there a bit. And I think your point is fair. Our results early in the season kind of played into, hey, something's up there. They're not as good as we thought they were. And people, the, the press cycle moves on. If you're wondering what that's like internally, um, after Worlds, you know, it was obviously a big sprint when Reaper and Abadaga joined and we were doing night blocks and pushing all of our scrims really late to try to make it to Worlds. And that eventually turned into winning summers, which is obviously a big thing. From there, the moment that we could get our visas sorted, and obviously you'll remember that Closer was held back, Envy was held back. It was again, holy crap, we're behind on, on World Scrims now, sprint to get on top of that. Um, after Worlds was over, we thought about our direction for the next year. There were no clear upgrades on the players we had, and we said, okay, let's do a six-man roster. Let's bring in Tenacity to the roster. And I talked to Reaper, and I'm like, okay, six-man rosters, a lot of people have talked about it. Let's try and work out a new way to do it. We have a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of answers. What's the best way to get on top of it? And he said, let's do a month-long boot camp in Korea. And I was like, great, let's get on top of that. So we're sprinting again, right? Um, and getting the most out of the boot camp. So when spring season came around, the players started to make some very reasonable requests. And these, out of context always sound like you know the players like whenever you say the term work-life balance people kind of slant lazy and wonder what that means right um and the way it works is like if you look back to last year we would do 10 10 15 a.m arrival usually we'd be practicing till 8 9 p.m and then if it was like a you know draft meeting or something it might be 10 or 11 p.m kind of thing basically every day one day off on a monday um and so when it came to spring season, uh, we had like Huhi, for example, was like, hey, I've been taken up working out in the last couple of months. I'd really like to go to my gym one day a week. It closes at 8 p.m. And it's like, huh, okay, it's the start of spring season. He wants to work out one day a week. I think he's going with his partner. You know, he wants to go with a, a trainer. That shouldn't be something that's impossible with the, how our schedule works, but it was. Um, and so it was like, okay, there has to be a way to make this make sense in lock and tournament or spring, you know, the early weeks of spring. And it was a lot of small requests like that, that none of which were, I'm going to be lazy or anything like that. And we still had kind of like solo queue requirements and things like that for players to hit. But things changed, you know, like, and also players come back after winning a little bit different, even though it's the same group. So given all of that, we tried to find a way to make the start, or at least the first round Robin of spring, more manageable or more flexible around kind of where players were at. And all of that coincided with some meta stuff that didn't go away and results that didn't go away. And 
obviously after the first round robin you know five and four losing to dignitas on the last day we weren't happy with the direction of our team and when i say we it wasn't like a management or a leadership or a coaching exclusive thing everyone was like this doesn't feel right you know um and from there we made new agreements about how we were going to approach the second round robin spoilers more hours um it's moving towards playoffs so players going to be 100 you know, engaged at all times and it was really kind of that that's all up into this. We know we can do it when we need to approach. And obviously, seven and two in the regular season, another three zero after that shows that the players can get there. And I think at no point did I lose my confidence in what my players could achieve because we've already seen that on the last Sunday of the season, you know, we can lift a trophy and beat Team Liquid. But when it came to how can we be intelligent about not just sprinting all of spring and then sprinting all of summer and, and running into inevitable burnout somewhere along the line? There was tuning that had to be done, right? And it felt like we didn't get the tuning right in the first round, Robin, but that's the time to take risks and make, you know, make, make what you can of what you can. Um, and when it comes to performing, this is the time for that. And I'm proud of the boys for showing that performing comes just a second nature to them. Yeah. That's a fair statement. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you have any follow-ups to that or if we should just hop into calls. No, I mean, I think um, it's interesting about like the work-life balance and like when to peak and stuff like that because I think um, the amount of time that it takes, like I'm, I'm, I was always a big fan of like the grinder system <laughs> of uh, how to approach practice. Like I do think, unfortunately, league is a little bit of a volume sport um and it's hard to work smarter I and mean, it's a lot easier to work harder than it is to work smarter in league but i do think uh for teams that have serious contenders like serious title chances like 100 thieves who have played before won a title already went to worlds and done all this stuff i, I think it's almost and i don't not, not this was the intention but maybe it was just the effect of like going a little bit easier for mental health reasons and work-life balance stuff and then you know, you kind of see a little bit of a slump, you could argue. And then like, all right, let's time to ramp it up. And I think Abadaga talked about that. I think it was Abba in one of his interviews saying like, the most important thing is peaking at the right time. And I think it's clear based off the insane win, win rate uh, in the back half of the split into this, this series that kind of felt like that. I think it's scary though, because whenever anybody confronts things like work-life balance or, you know, um, going in second or third gear instead of always being in high gear, you always, you know, it's always kind of results-based on whether people will respect you or accept it. I remember in the LEC, Mac did a really good um, interview about burnout uh, in summer, I think it was, at the end, like right at the end of summer, maybe it was after winning, and everyone like really respected it, but just like me coming in now, if I tried to say this at the end of the first round, Robin, people would be there to snipe, you know, or, oh, you went too easy on this guy, or like, you know, were you ever good? Like, this is very much a results industry. This is very much what the fuck have you done for me lately, you know? Um, and I must admit, you know, when we're sitting there making our uh, agreements for the second round robin, even though I have full confidence in my players, you still need to see it. You still need to see that they actually follow through on their buy-in, that the performances actually do pick up. Like, it's, uh, I think someone recently told me, they say they think a split is about two years in the real world, you know? And even if it's half a split, that does feel like a year. It's like, well, I haven't seen this guy play at the level I saw last year recently. Um, so just given all of that, um, you still need to see things pay off and seeing the group come together and 
people holding each other to high standards, which is oh so much more important than the GM coming in saying, are you guys practicing enough? Or the coaches telling people what to do. When you have players, like Closer is the obvious example that you would see publicly do this, but when the players internalize it and they look at their teammates and say, pick it up, you know, we're trying to fucking win here. Like that stuff is so, so important. And I'm very proud of where my players are at right now. And it's now about whether we can lift that trophy in Houston. Well, I guess we'll we'll find out. I mean, it is kind of cool that after the first weekend, we realized that you guys will be in Houston. Uh, like, it was funny because Steve tweeted out, like, we're headed to Houston. And I was like, wait, is that, done? you know, I was, I was trying to visualize the bracket. I was like, oh, I guess that is true. You're guaranteed one way or another based off of how uh, the future goes. So It's crazy how it could have been 100 Thieves and EG locked in Houston and TL and C9 yeah, I, their way to get there based on a best of one, right? The last game of the the first series. I actually sent a message to Peter Dunn at 11.59 p.m. Friday night before ne either of us had played. And I was like, you know, see you in two weeks, you know, in the winner's <laughs> final, see you in Houston. And we uh, did the handshake emoji and it almost came true. That boys almost got over the line. And even though they went down, I'm sure they're so proud that that was the two games they won, you know, against teams above them was in an elimination match and they're trending upwards that everyone's seen in scrims is finally coming to life. No, I was thinking about that. I mentioned that to a couple people um, where I had this kind of realization in game five of the Team Liquid thing where I was like, this would be a historic playoffs weekend where the two teams that there's, there's oftentimes like the two teams that just sort of do find during the regular split and are kind of a, a cut above folks. And, um, and I was like, if both of them just busted out on the first weekend and uh, you knew that one of these two teams was not going to make it, it would have just been insane. And so, yeah, I was, I definitely was thinking about that as the fifth game was going between uh, TL and EG. And I hope, I hope that uh, we, obviously we have Papa Smithy on, we're going to talk a ton about hundred uh, T C nine, but I'm also hoping we get some calls in about TL and EG because that was, a wild fucking match. Yeah, I mean, um, all topics are on the board. There's uh, the teams that are eliminated. There's where's Tenacity at. There's all the questions that people want to know the answer to. And I always come oh. on here happy to talk about everything. Oh, Travis, for the, the YouTube title, we need to ask Papa Smithy, what would he do to fix TSM? Oh, yes. We asked. Oh, we have one word answer. Oh, we need God. to ask it. So 80, 80, yeah, well, that will just be every guest we have on. That'll be the title. Uh, so that we just If you were in we... charge of TSM, what would you do? Quit is a totally fine word, like one word answer. You would just quit. That's fine. What are my stock options like? like we have to get <laughs> details here before we talk about that. Uh, um, oh, go ahead, Mark. I was just say, you're, you're whatever parts deal was when he was at TSM. I don't know if he had stock options while he was there or what, but I uh, mean he joined early, so I assume that by the time he, he left, he's gonna be he's gonna be looked after. Pot's a great one, so I gotta admit it does ring hollow to like consider TSM and not not see Path around. I know for play for you know fans, it's gonna be Bjergsen, right? But Path was definitely the face of that org to me at least. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I think people this, this... always under under understood what he was doing. The other thing uh, that I think, Mark, I don't know if we have. You know, normally we do the rundown of topics that we, we want to throw in. I know you've already thrown a bunch of people in the waiting room, but I do think one <clears throat> topic that I'm hoping that we can have a conversation around is Champions Q stuff, because obviously there was a ton of crazy stuff about that on Reddit. I saw you tweeting about it, Papa Smithy. So yep. I don't know if we have any takes on that, uh, Mark, but if there are any, maybe we try to grab one. Uh, I didn't see any, but I'll keep an eye out. Yeah. 
that's a topics. I don't a pro tip for for folks. If you if any of you think it's ter- if you think EG would have won if Danny had just played Champions Q, maybe put that in or uh, I don't know. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about Champions Q in the past a week and beyond that too. So, would love to uh, to do that. I, wait, actually, did C- has Hunter T and TL played more Champions Q than EG C9? I think so, right? Because there's oh, a definitely. Yeah, there's several. I I don't think Hunter T you guys play a ton, but I do think there's. I'm not sure if Inspired or Danny plays much, and then uh, I'm pretty sure Fudge doesn't play any. And I, well, I, the numbers are going to go down for the rest of this month, Travis, because no one is playing right now. So. Which is so there's, such a bummer. Right there's a game an hour, pretty much at this yeah, point. So. We'll save we'll save it for uh, for a call. Hopefully, somebody comes in. But I do think it's. It's a little depressing. I, on one hand, I get it, but it's also just like uh, a bit of a bummer. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right. Anyways, let's do it. Let's get yeah. some callers in here. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to do the spiel. That's fine. We yeah, already have a bunch not. of uh, callers in the thing. Um, if you guys want to know, just type uh, exclamation mark instructions in the chat. That'll teach you how to do it. Uh, thank you to some of these wonderful subs. Uh, I got some before the start of the show, but Desarta. Uh, Danielle, or Dan- Danielle, uh, I think that's what it is. Uh, America Vespucci, Phoenix, uh, Alzor TV, C. Selter, uh, Gingariffith, Fishsticks, uh, Crawls Balls, and Darth Zombie. We'll get more later on because our next caller is here, our first caller. Uh, Rudifer is here. Is that how you say your name? Yeah, it is. Great. Uh, where are you calling from? Calling from New Jersey. New Jersey. What do you want to talk about on the show? So uh, my take was that, uh, and it's actually funny that Papa Smithy had mentioned that he wishes that EG uh, would have won against TL because I think uh, the boys just actually gave EG the blueprint to win their eventual matchup against C9, uh, assuming that C9 wins against GG and EG wins against FlyQuest. Um, In that lower bracket matchup, I think that playoff impact uh, is will keep Summit down at the top lane, and that's going to allow Inspired to showcase his intelligent pathing like he did against TL in that series, uh, which can potentially outpace Blabber, which will therefore affect the lanes that give EG the dub. All right. So you're you're calling EG, and you think it's based off of basically everything we saw this past weekend, it sounds like. Uh, Yeah, and then kind of uh, more importantly, the fact that I think from what I had seen in their in 100 Thieves series against C9, Blabber did not have a lot of impact in getting Summit ahead. Uh, people meme and saying that you know Summit and Berserker being the win condition for C9, um, but it seems like Someday was really able to keep him down. And even in game two, where Blabber seemed to have a like I was looking at Oracle Elixir and. A 2100 gold lead seems like a lot, but then when I looked back at the game this morning, I was like, he got a 2100 gold lead from getting that kill in 100 Thieves jungle, and then got Rift Herald, and then did nothing for like 16 minutes to impact the map. Um, but I don't think Inspired would do the same thing, because uh, just All from right. seeing how he laned against uh, TL, seems like he has a good he has a good uh, impact on the map. Papa, I can help hone this question if you have if, if you want me to or if you want to just answer how the, how the caller phrased it 
I'm, I'm easy. Let me know. What, 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 what do you want to hear? So one, the caller is asking, basically, he thinks you guys handed the blueprint to EG to beat Cloud9 should they match up. Do you feel like this is a blueprint that more teams can use against uh, C9? I think that C9 have a very defined play style. Um, I think most teams do. And if it left unchecked, like it was with a lot of the Jason NAR picks, it was pretty easy for C9 to pick up victories. If you look at their stats, the forward percentage on top is high and then mid and bot lane is very low. So it's, then you think about what that means. It means that if you're going to get, if you're going to counter jungle, if you're going to get objectives, it's going to be through top side advantage. So if they don't have a top side advantage and their other players are more comfortable playing, you know, under turret or defensively or controlling their wave, freezing, if you want to call it, lol memes, um, then yeah, it's going to be a struggle for C9 to win. And I think that was the preparation we came in with on red side. The moment they picked blue, we're like, okay, so that means that you guys think you have a soul for Jason Arbans. And that was clearly what the Renekton Diana was about. Um, when it didn't work and they ran it back, it just confirms that with three, four days practice, that was the best strategy they had to try to find a way through kind of what happened the week before. And I think the the amount of time is something that's lost on people is that when eventually you take like a gut punch, you know, when one gets through the armor, pivoting in a couple of days, something that like, you know, uh, habits that, what is it, the old habits die hard kind of thing, like pivoting mm -hmm. your strategy in a week is super hard. Um, and I think they came up with something and I, I saw, I think there's a Peter Dunn out of context Discord message somewhere, which was basically <laughs> along the lines of like, Maybe that was the only kind of pivot that worked during the week of practice, which, you know, people have heard the murmurings of, of Cloud9's problems in scrims for a couple of weeks. We haven't scrimmed them. I'm just going on public uh, perception. Um, those things add up to, in a couple of days, this is what they had to show for it. Probably worked in scrims, didn't work on stage. They bust her out to us. And now they have another four days or five days to work out a new system. And I think they can. Like, they're really, really talented team, smart coaches, quality players. It's just now after taking another kind of like ego hit after a couple of weeks of like C9 on the downturn, can they ignore all of that and get the most out of four days of practice and find two, three strategies that work and get over the line against GG? I think for a lot of people, you look at it as a 70-30 matchup to C9, but... I think we'll know at the end of game one if Cloud9 is winning the series or not. I think it's not even if they win or not, it's just do they have a coherent strategy that is either different or reframes what they're doing? Because the moment that, let's say they choose blue side again, you can't force three locked bands, you know? So if, if they have one more pick that really puts Golden Guardians off, I think they'll easily win the series. If they don't, then it might be a straight sets loss, which would obviously be alarm bells for everybody involved. Yeah, I would uh, say, caller, to, just to what Papa Smithy was just pointing out, is like uh, uh, we we're not at the C9 uh, EG match yet uh, because we have to get through. But I assume that you just are 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 giving C9 and EG the pass on their Golden Guardian FlyQuest matches. Um. Yeah. Well, I just think. Not to not to give Pride Stalker or Licorice any any flame, but I don't know if Licorice 
would be able to do what Someday had done this past weekend, but I could be wrong. Rudifer, more, more importantly to me was the other thing Papa said, which is C9 not only has this week to come up with something new, but then assuming they beat Golden Guardians, which you think they will, then have another week before they bump into EG to figure something out that's not blind Renekton in the first phase of the draft. Um, are you, you're, you're talking about the blueprint that other people are going to have, Rudifer. Do you, don't you think that C9 might cook up something different, or do you think they're so limited in their champion pools that they won't be able to, to adapt either? Um, I, would, I wouldn't really limit it to champion pool, just more so how Blabber and Fudge were playing the map to potentially enable the bot and the top lane. Um, it didn't even seem like Abadage did have to do anything to hold down Fudge. Closer was just having so much impact on games, specifically from games one and three, and even like game two, he almost got that kill on to win some. Like that could have converted uh, bot lane for FBI and who he should just snowball out of there. Um, but it kind of left it even. So maybe over the course of the two weeks, they C9 could have a game plan for EG, but EG's look so strong right now, and then maybe potentially how they look against FlyQuest next weekend could potentially make the matchup more exciting for, for, for two weeks from now. Um, but I think just from this past weekend, EG looked extremely strong. Um, and their top side of the map looked like they can have a lot of impact. I think I'll shout out um, the JLXP that came out today um, with Raz and Jat. I think they, I think Raz had a really, really intelligent point about systems where what are C9 systems for winning other than Summit crushes lane? It's, it, if you think about it, Blabber doesn't play with mid much. He doesn't play with his support much. And so those are systems we haven't really seen evolve as the split went on. Um, and that's the sort of thing, obviously, that teams have started to diagnose as well. Now it's the case of when your flaws are laid bare, as starkly as this, and people are like, lol, ban out two champions and you'll get the victory. I think that's the sink or swim moment, you know? Um, I feel like 100 Thieves had similar criticisms against us, what, week seven, eight of regular season summer last year, if you remember, like people were ready to write us off that our gradual descent had begun. And that's really the character building moment for coaching staff and players, that's the moment where what is our player culture like about wins and losses, about learning, et cetera, and what is the buy-in from players with coaches is, is truly tested. I think this is where they can really stake their flag because how they perform against Golden Guardians uh, in a very simple way, it's an elimination match, but for everybody who wants to cast them further to a potential representative of North America, it really is the acid test. So that's why my eyes will be peeled on game one and see if they can can show new systems because they, they desperately need to. Mark, uh, uh, I was going to ask you if we have a, another call about Summit or anything in the in the pipeline. Cause well, we got, just... a, we got a Summit call. Okay, never mind then. We'll, we'll wait for that. Uh, another way to ask a Summit-related question, though, for all of Cloud9, and this kind of throws some shade potentially at your own team, but do you think you realistically should have 3-0'd them? Because um, I think a lot of people look at their drafts and go, those drafts sucked. Cloud9 should be better than this. Even if like you think you should win the series, you're the better team. That was 
you know, game one was a slaughter. Game three was a slaughter. Game two was like firmly in your hands aside for one team fight where Berserker kind of went through unchecked. Like it wasn't very much a close series, let alone a 3-0. Like, do you really think that's indicative of if you played that series two weeks from now and like maybe they'll fix some of the draft stuff versus how much of it was just skill issues and that you guys are just that much better as a team? I think the word should is very trap word. Yeah, I don't okay. really believe in it in terms of life either. Like it either does or doesn't. I think that if you're talking about like FIFA ratings, like what you would rate the players out of 100, I think our players are better. Maybe some people would disagree with that. Um, when it comes to best of five, because they'd only shown one style that works, um, it was pretty straightforward for us to kind of force them to show another one mm. and didn't see one. I think if you think about Summer as a player, and I cast a lot of his uh, early games before coming over, he has a pretty limited effective champion pool from the start. You know, when you think about after Jason R, you think Aatrox is a big pick for him. Didn't play it here, Renekton, kind of just AD tops of what he plays um, over his career. He hasn't really ever been a mage player. So just given that, and then our expectation of mid and bot, we didn't really see how we could be troubled. Um, we kind of were really, really confident. I think they match up very poorly against us. So given that, um, I didn't really see a world where we lost this series, but obviously you're always ready to be surprised, right? But if we can come in with two locked bands and not really ever be forced to change that, it probably shows you that there was more of a golfing class between the two squads best of five related than maybe, you know, best of ones against general teams might show. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it is during the regular season. I don't know, I, you don't have to reveal your, your practice techniques, but at least when I was coaching during the regular season, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are not really targeted towards the people you're playing that week. You're trying out things for the patch. You're trying out just general improvement stuff. And like maybe Thursday, but especially Friday is like the, all right, what champions do we actually want to practice for, for our opponents that we actually think we'll be playing this week and you know like that's very different than a, a best of five week where like basically from the drop of the hat you're like prepping for summit versus prepping for oh what what what, what does someday want to learn this week kind of thing yeah fans don't know let's say uh, we're playing against uh, let's use friday as an example we're screaming against random team and we're playing against um c9 the next day you practice with um jason R band every game even if the scrim opponent you're facing doesn't play jason R, just because that's like, hey, we've got two locked bands this week. Sometimes you have one locked band. Sometimes you have all open bands. But you kind of create, you start the week creating theories. And then by Thursday, Friday, you've kind of like locked what your theory is. And you try to kind of see if there's any last minute adjustments that need to be made. So the Jason R was the thing that we did the week before. That's how you're going to approach game one. Maybe one of them you drop if you're forced to. But best of five is about if you come in with three locked bands, that's really bad because if there's a new champion that shows up, you're kind of screwed whatever you do. You want to come in with as, as, as few locked bands as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's basically how the boxing match goes. And I felt like in, ultimately C9 weren't able to catch us off with anything. Mark, uh, I know we need to, to go on to the next caller, but really quickly, just especially because you weren't on the analyst desk this weekend, uh, I will ask you the question you asked Papa Smithy, which is, do you think C9 was better than what they showed on Saturday? Do you think it was a draft diff uh, that led to, to them getting stomped out so much? Um, 
no asterisk. Uh, I, I mean, I think what Papa said about it, the the draft diff, but like, I feel like when people talk about draft diff, sometimes they mean like, oh, this team just drafted badly in this isolated situation. Uh, I think to his point, like, isn't this kind of what you expect his third champion on the priority list to have been, especially considering they banned Trinomir in the first two games, I believe, as well against Someday. So there was actually a three, a three top lane pinch. So like... What's he gonna blind top at that point? It feels like Renekton or Aatrox are the two things, and they probably had success on it in scrims. Hey, and my hey, concern, here's what I'll say: small point is, didn't we come into a best of five? We were expected to lose against a dominant top laner and win three zero the last time. Like are Fari and Summit really that different in terms of players? Both of them really good at the champions they play and mashing into someday who's been playing for nine years and can kind of play everything with no ego, like. This was just kind of the way it was going to go, right? Indeed. The difference, I'd say, is that uh, that Team Liquid team had Core JJ and Jensen instead of Fudge and uh, Winsome. You're right. Winsome so, didn't roam top, so we had one it, less thing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I know that just sounds like big shots fired, but I'm only half kidding about, like, if you're C9 and you're like, this weekend didn't work, let's pivot and make a new game plan. How do you, like, what's the new game plan? Play through bot lane, which they haven't really done all split. Play through mid lane, which it's, one, not a great metaphor. And two, again, something you haven't really done all split. It's kind of more like, hey, Summit, you're 1v9. We got to figure out new champs that you can actually 1v9 on because Renekton isn't it. I, to me, the person who clearly can change and kind of change the entire text of the game is, is Fudge. I think... What is his effective champion pool in mid is always a thing you're not that clear on, right? Because he doesn't play champions Q. He's pretty private in general. Um, but I think he's a super, super intelligent player and also very talented. I think he's still working out what mid lane looks like for him. So, I mean, the casters were talking about it, like the Renekton flex to mid, right? That was a pivot that was very obvious that we didn't see in this series. Um, there's lots of niche counterpicks to meta champs, and if you know what to expect from the enemy mid, things like Aatrox mid and things that he's played in top or that Summit's played in top can be done. Obviously, we saw um, in this case, uh, actually EG, you know, Fleck doing the human swap, and I hope C9 takes inspiration from that and then lets Fudge lean into the weird. Maybe, maybe LS will airdrop him some more OP stuff that he can play in mid, but I think Fudge is the one where if it can be Blabber plus Fudge, Go top, that would be a really good evolution compared to kind of just isolation, but uh, summoning to his own thing. But we talked a lot of time on this, and I know you guys want to move on. Rutterfer, thank you so much for the call. Anything you want to shout out before we uh, go on to the next caller? Yeah, I'd just like to shout out my boys who are watching in right now, and also the crowd this weekend. Uh, me and my friends were just talking about how, you know, it's probably amazing to be back in the studio in LA. But to hear the crowd noise, even through the stream, just made the just made the matches online so much more enjoyable. So yeah, shout out no, to y'all over was there hyping the crowd up. Super cool. I, I it was it was so it's it's funny how much it makes a difference. Either way, thank you so much for the call, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, off to the next caller. Uh, Mark goes. Thank you to Perchy ninety nine, Samiz. I believe is how you say it, McManlinus. Riot Wafflefoot, thank you for the sub and then also for gifting 20 subs. That was very generous of you uh, and very much appreciated. And finally, we got Zamelkai. 
Uh, Horizon is here. Horizon, where are you calling from? I am calling from Houston, Texas. Houston, mm, Texas. Oh. I look forward to visiting you soon. Yes. I look forward to seeing you there. Fantastic. Well, it's exciting to have you uh, have you on the show. What do you want to talk about on the show? Uh, so I'm going to come in with a hot one. I, I'm not going any holds barred with this one, especially after having seen what I saw this weekend. Um, pretty simple take. After having watched Live in the Moment and then calmed down and rewatched the mm. series from this weekend, given 100 Thieves um, versus Cloud9 and then you know TL versus EG, um, I'm even more convinced now than I was then that Team Liquid are genuinely in trouble given the level of aggression and quality um, in terms of improvement that 100 Thieves have shown, especially given the fact that TL had to go all five games over EG, which was a matchup that by all rights should have been dead meat. Now, I'm going to caveat this. You're going to have a hell of a time putting them away because they're still a strong team. I expect it to be a dogfight. And best of luck dealing with the merchant of misery, absolute menace to society. That is Core JJ. I, best of luck to you, sir. Okay. So uh, besides Core JJ being a menace to society, the takeaway is that TL's in trouble and Hunter T is the biggest threat now after this weekend. That's your that's your premise essentially. Yes. Okay. Mark, we let Papa Smith yes. go first last time. Okay. So why, I'll I'll ask you, how much is Team Liquid in trouble after what we saw yesterday? Hmm. Well, it depends on a couple factors. One, will Team Liquid be mind controlled into taking Renekton twice? <laughs> on blue side I feel like if they can avoid that massive pitfall they'll at least stand a little bit better of a chance than cloud nine did uh i think there's a legitimate concern about how they did against eg and that it wasn't super convincing but i do think that was actually a, a better series like it was a five game series you can argue tail underperformed a little bit but i, I do think that um EG just looked better in, in the best of five than they did during the, the week or during the, the a lot of the weeks. I know people are harping on their game five draft because it was Renekton in Italy and one, people hate Renekton and two, Renekton in Italy lost a 10K gold advantage in LCK finals with one of the best teams in the world running it. And people are going to flame that draft. But I think EG drafts had a couple of good ones that actually surprised Team Liquid and got some real big advantages. I think there was a Kennen game, if I remember correctly, that was really good. Was it Ken and, uh, Ken and Nocturne, something else that, that worked well? I, I need to look at their drafts again really quickly. But I, I remember a couple of them. I'm being like, oh, this is actually nice by EG. Like, they actually had good drafts this this time after people had been harping on them all season long. And I know game five is one that people still don't like. But I think there were a couple others that um, they, that worked out quite well for them. Do you, do you think, uh, to Horizon's point, do you think that uh, EG played particularly aggressive? And that if we're seeing an aggressive 100T, that that will be something that Team Liquid will struggle with. Well, did he not say that TL, or excuse me, 100 Thieves play particularly aggressive? Yeah, that's my my point, is like, Horizon, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're saying because 100T is playing so aggressive, uh, oh. Team Liquid should be so let me, in trouble. Yeah, so let me let me clarify that. So we're seeing, we, so we saw an aggressive EG take TL to five games. I'm saying that 100 Thieves are not only just as aggressive, they're actually more so, and they play that style better. Meaning that if EG can take TL to, 100, uh, to five games, 100 Thieves are probably going to be able to take them to maybe 3-1. 
Uh, I I would I wouldn't bet it on it being a three-one series. I expect it to go all five games. But I mean, if you're looking at similarity in play styles, I mean, hundred thieves have a better roster and they do the exact same thing but better. Yeah. So so the, I guess the follow-up question here, Mark, is is the all gas no breaks the strategy to knock down Team Liquid's door and take the series from them? And is is hundred thieves gonna be able to do that? I mean, how much of that was 100 Thieves, like, raw aggression? How much was, like, Closer just hard shitting on them himself manually? Because <laughs> I think a large portion of that, like, game two for, like, game one, I swear to God, I don't understand how teams in 2022 don't know how to defend against Nautilus Blitz mid. I actually cannot fathom how your takeaway is to just sack mid, don't put anyone there, but still stand at your point on the banana brush like a, for the love of god i here's cannot what, here's understand. what i'll say like for sure they have like lots of stats and they would have gone over draft meetings and things and i agree that it's like a boiler point invade to not have someone watching mid but i guess the one thing i will say and another reason why i thought we came in really favorite is the amount of stage plus crowd rookies they have is gonna affect game one i thought i could definitely see some nerves with just how they were playing um not even just the rookie players and also something that i didn't like that i noted to riot is that they with the fans in the crowd they also had to up the white noise in the headsets quite considerably it's the highest it's been in two and a half years and mm. even during the the mic check even my players were like talking to the ref being like wait the white noise is so loud like why did this change week on week and we didn't know about that beforehand so i and between nerves and comfort and stakes, like I think game one, start of game one was always going to be a bit wacky. Um, and you just saw an ultra low roll, but there's no world where they don't know how to defend a Nautilus mid. It's just they did not defend a Nautilus blitz mid that game. I hope so. I don't know. Either way, like coming from a professional sports background, that to me is like they called the most basic play call available and you just like fudged it. And so maybe, maybe it is the the uh white noise or some other things but the second game they clearly clearly remembered what they're supposed to do in terms of like where they put their awards and stuff but so my point where i was going with that was game one had a really wonky game state where 100 thieves just hard shit on them with a comp that wants to scale and game two was actually not that aggressive um closer did have a really nice gank in the bot lane but then it was actually one kill in c9's favor for like 18 20 minutes in the first game and then they got one back on like a, a weak side play a, away from a dragon. It wasn't particularly a proactive game out of them because they didn't need to. They had a scaling advantage in my mind. So I, it's not a criticism. I just don't think it was super aggressive. And then game three again, um, they there was a, a weird map split situation and closer again popped off and then Winsome lost his mind and ran in like three or four more times and died. And like 100 Thieves ran the fuck over them. Um, I just I don't know if I'd classify their game plan as super aggressive. It looked like they thought that Cloud Nine didn't have an answer to to like weak side top and and scaling, and that seems to be true. But I I, I think um I don't think that that game plan will be like useful to even try and replicate versus TL necessarily. Um. So I guess I would I would say like you could throw out most of the learnings from that one and just like it's it's two different teams playing each other. I think Hundred Thieves looks like 
the tournament favorites based off this weekend. That I can get behind. Is it their raw aggression that's going to keep TL on the back foot? I don't know. So much as um, Abadaga looks like the best he's looked all year. Same with FBI. Closer has been great all... Closer and someday have been great all split long, and, and who he is looking good again as well. Like They, they seem to be firing on all cylinders, um, whereas TL still has some some oopsies games, it feels like, from certain members. I haven't seen an oopsies game out of 100 Thieves in it for a minute. And one final point, if I can, just to make on it real quick. It, we talked about aggression and like whether or not 100 Thieves actually be able to like level that. Um, I think it's a, a good point to focus on where they would level that aggression, and you have to think it's going to be going towards Whippo, right? Because Bjergsen's not going to win TL game. If you can keep bot lane in check, and you can make sure that Santorin's not, you know, popping off 1v5, getting kills like he did, you know, in EG to just start to carry some of those games, Whippo's look super exploitable, and if you could smash that lane hard enough and, and chance for those leads into other lanes and keep um, really the only other carry in TL, which is that bot lane down, they'll have an easier time of it. I, I think Whippo has just looked super exploitable all season. Uh, Papa Smithy, mm -hmm. uh, what if you guys just use all these cheesy level ones? Uh, you know, camp out, mm. with catch Bjergsen. Uh, is this is this a strategy to beat Team Liquid? Um, is, that, is that the way to go about it? I think overall this take is it feels very kind of in the moment i'm talking to you after we smashed c9 and, and you know eg surprisingly went to five games against tl even though i'm with fbi i thought those two teams were very evenly matched i think eg is a really good team um so that's why it feels a bit backhanded if you want to ask me if finals was played friday saturday sunday would we have won the tournament then easily yes like that's a very easy thing for me to answer where will tl be in 12 days of scrims time where will we be in 12 days of scrims time i think bjergsen had a good point in the interview like this is the most scrims you're going to play in a block since the start of lcs so you can really shift and evolve and and grow from here um so someone like c9 is very envious they don't have 12 days to beef up their systems and things like that so i think when it comes to how we match up against TL, um, there's going to be certain things that hold true. Like, I think the closer usually monsters Santorin whenever they play against each other. And so, I mean, that's a really good matchup for us. When it comes to us against TL compared to EG against TL, uh, our mid laners going to be a lot more comfortable in mage versus mage late game team fights um, than JoJo is, for example. Uh, so, that gives us kind of like another edge there. But is it as simple as we'll play more aggressive? I think aggression is overused. I think TL's really good at punishing mistakes. I think we're really good at punishing mistakes. I think TL isn't good at forcing misplays, whereas EGN and, and, and specifically Closer mm -hmm. are very good at that. So I think that's where things can compare well. But I don't want to sit here and tell you I know what things look like in two weeks. I think that I'm really confident with where we're at, but. I need to see what practice looks like tomorrow and the next 12 days afterwards to see how this matchup is going to shape up because it should be a banger. I don't think it will be a 3-0 either way. Um, and if we take the win, great. If we don't, just like last year, we'll improve further and beat them the next time. So overall, it's just good to play against great teams. So I'm excited to play against TL. Horizon, uh, thank you so much for the call. Any recommendations for anybody visiting Houston in the next couple of weeks? Try out the barbecue. All the food there is good. Just 
careful you don't have a heart attack because it's that good. Mm. Uh, beyond that, just enjoy it. Looking forward to having you guys down there. Looking forward to seeing the teams. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Anybody that I can find to get a ticket that doesn't have a ticket, I've been getting everybody, rounding everybody up, getting them tickets. So I'm super excited. I cannot wait to see you guys play. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Horizon, for the call. And uh, anything you want to shout out, I guess. I did ask for your advice, but you deserve a <laughs> shout out too. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to shout out the Sam Houston State University esports organization. We've got multiple teams that are in playoffs for League of Legends. We've got a team that's going to Atlanta in May to play a really, really big uh, esports commissioner U Cup there. It's going to be fantastic. It's a huge opportunity for organization. So just shout out to all of those guys. They've worked super, super hard. They deserve it. And I can't wait to see how well they play. Awesome. Thanks for the call. And we'll catch you next time. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break to talk about our first sponsor of the night, which is Alienware. Please head over to Alienware.com slash Travis and check out their products. I right now am looking at this beautiful 34-inch ultra-wide OLED monitor, QD OLED. This thing is awesome. Uh, it is uh, fantastic. I was able to play last week... Um, god of war on stream and really really enjoyed it uh i don't know if anybody has had a chance to well first off it's the first of its kind so you wouldn't have had a chance to do use something like this but if anybody's used one of these wonderful oled televisions before uh, you have an idea of what this thing is like and again because it's ultra wide it just looks so fantastic i've been using ultra wide monitors for gaming playing uh, all sorts of different games for a long time uh, but this thing is by far the best that I've ever had, and I highly recommend you check it out. And if you don't trust me, go look at the reviews for this thing. I've been watching a bunch of them on YouTube recently, and uh, it's getting rave reviews. So go check it out. Thank you so much to Alienware for sponsoring the show. There's a discount code in the description. It doesn't always work on some of the newer stuff, but be sure to try it when you can uh, because you never know if it's going to... Uh, allow you to save some really good money. And I, I do appreciate everybody who's been tweeting at me, letting me know when you buy this monitor or anything else from uh, Alienware. We do send that stuff along to them so that they see it. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, what they do for us. So thank you so much to Alienware for sponsoring the show. And uh, I think we're ready for the next caller, which Mark has already headed off to go grab. So thank you to uh, Epi and Pedro Polo for the subs really appreciate it we should have our next caller here shortly what and... number hotline league is this by the way travis oh i don't say. we don't keep track of that anymore oh no yes i yeah. don't ever nobody nobody cared what number it was until i stopped announcing it at the start of the show and now everybody wants to know what number it is we, we track it on the youtube uh mm. franz is here franz where are you calling from hey calling from the uh the hometown of brandon sanderson provo utah Oh, nice. Uh, wait, that's not his hometown. He's from Nebraska, but okay, true, true, true. I well, think that's I think where he's, he's at he these days. Uh, you've called in previously, correct? Yep, yeah, a few times. Fantastic. Well, uh, what do you want to talk about on the show this week? Yeah, so uh, first of all, Papa Smithy, big fan of yours. Uh, I am about to uh, uh, shit-talk your team a little bit, though. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, no, um, no bad intention. So my take is that I think... Um, I think that uh, 100 Thieves looked better than their actual level against Cloud9. I think they beat a sort of like uh, regressing Cloud9 who had a bad read on the meta. Uh, they took blue side twice, uh, drafted Renekton on blue side twice. 
I think, you know, Papa said it a few minutes ago that Cloud9 matches up poorly against Hungry Thieves. And I think Team Liquid matches up against Hungry Thieves a lot better than EG, lane for lane in terms of play style. And I have a few points on that. I can expand if needed. Sure. Awesome. I think EG knew they had to be sort of explosive early in order to get leads against Team Liquid. In Game 4, obviously, they had that insane Level 1 start. Bjergsen said it in his interview where, you know, it's really hard to come back from that state. They got two kills and blew, like, four flashes, I think. In Game 2, Team Liquid drafted Poke Lethality Zaya, which I think is awful, and I don't think we'll see that again. I think a lot of early roams from Vulcan and JoJo snowballed the games. I think they knew they had to do that. JoJo actually, Bjergsen had, like, positive ACSD against JoJo in lane, which did not happen in the regular split. I think JoJo knew he needed to roam more and leave lane early to get advantages because they knew TL just beat them in a standard game. And so I think EG actually matched up well. I think they had a good game plan. Against 100 Thieves, I just think pound for pound. I think the only way 100 Thieves actually wins three games is if Closer pops off three games, which, you know, is possible. We've seen him do it. But I just think it's going to be incredibly hard for 100 Thieves to take three games off of Team Liquid, you know, just looking lane by lane. Do you want to dig in to that, Papa Smithy? I mean, look, I think the caller is reporting on what he saw, and a lot of it's factual or reasonable. I think that you can only beat the team that's in front of you when it comes to how you play, right? Like, we came in and ended up not having to break much of a sweat against C9 just because they didn't have a lot of extra stuff to show. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of extra stuff to show, right? It might mean that. It might not mean that. But regardless, we didn't have to show anything. So... It was cool that we got to play the Lucian Nami. That was one that uh, FBI was really excited to play. So it was nice that we could show something of what we've been preparing. And now we've got 11 days theoretically to add everything, right? Like Kled Jungle could be coming in, Malice 2018 style. Like we could be playing everything. Maybe we'll actually make Renekton work. Because right now, you know Renekton will be available. Because everyone has this like, I don't want to get shit on by LS kind of vibe going on. So got to get the Renekton working, you know? If we win with Renekton, then we can get some more memes going. So... I think that nothing you said was incorrect. It's just when you think about how the players match up, there's certain things that are a little bit more straightforward for us. Like, for example, when you talk about the mid lane matchup and the CSD there, obviously a lot of the CSD is going to be based on game five where JoJo was over-rotating far too much on Rise. You know, he was just out of lane, not getting enough compared to the yeah. previous game where he got a lot from rotating. And Vagar just got, like, you know, huge CS lead, which should never happen in the lane. Um, I think JoJo is significantly better laner than Bjergsen, and going on Rise every game wasn't really going to show that, and they didn't want to optimize for that that much. Um, and so they, they bet on a strategy that almost worked, right? They did take the two games off them there, but I think in another day, I would have loved to see JoJo on LeBlanc and Silas and all of his comfort champions and see how that went. I think that when they face into us, we're going to be a lot more comfortable about playing a longer game. Like, there's always this argument that TL always wins the long game, but I feel like that's like a 2018, 2019 4 Pete meme that's like kind of copy-pasted for the future. 
and it's to some degree true. I think they have very, very intelligent players. I think they team fight well, but I think the whole region has leveled up around them on that. I don't think they just auto win late game team fights. And I signed on Badaga, so I've got a Corky Azir player too. So I can play the mage versus mage matchups just fine. So I'm not too worried about that. I just know that this series is going to be about who punishes mistakes better. Both teams will make mistakes. Both teams are mortal. Both teams are NA. All those things, all the things that that entails. But whichever team is punishing better and recognizing mistakes and taking advantages will win. And I think there's very little to call between the two. I'm going to be biased and say I think my players are better. Steve's going to look at his paychecks and say that his team's better. I think both are super valid, and that's why it's a banger matchup in two weeks, right? I'm really excited. I am. So last call, I, I disagreed with the caller a little bit about the aggression point. This time, I'm going to disagree with the caller about some of like, I mean, you already did a little bit about the late game focus versus early game and then choosing to go early games they thought they needed to. But I also would say Team Liquid wasn't even that clean in the late games in some of these. Like that fucking last game. They lost, what, two team fights to Renekton in Italy like, because they gave up huge flanks. Uh, Impact with a super long comp, brush invade. Vulcan actually had some some good engages as much as people were making fun of him for dying nine times on Leona. You know, like, if I remember correctly, that game started pretty terribly and TL had a massive lead and we're still losing some team fights. So are Team Liquid even good in the late game? Or did they just pick infinitely scaling Scion uh, Vigar? I don't know. I'm not sure they're actually a good late game team. Well, I guess we'll find out. Franz, yes, sir. Any any quick follow-ups or uh... Travis? Who do you think's gonna win, dude? You can't just say, "Well, I guess we'll find out." This is what everyone makes fun of you for. You got you got to pick a side. I've been busy trying to get us extra takes into the waiting room, uh, <laughs> because people pointed out, "Do we have an all pro take, Mark?" Because I completely forgot that all pro happened last week. So, uh, maybe I don't know. There's a lot of things to talk about this week. Yes. You, well, all I'm saying so is you, you should you should get your your point in here. Who do you think is going to win? Who do I think is going to win between Hunter T and TL? Yeah, I think TL has looked better over the course of the year, and so I'm not going to take the the what this one weekend to make to like completely shift my perspective on it. I think it'll be a five game series, but I think TL will take it. That's a very respectable take. Is that what you want, Mark? Huh? Yeah. Are you happy? <laughs> Travis, anything can happen. Gafford is your new gamer tag. Anything can happen. I, I just, it's, I always feel awkward making uh, predictions that disagree with the guest that's on. And I'm not, I'm not as much as people might think so. I'm not as much of a sellout that I would just be like, man, you know, 100T looks sick this weekend. I'm going with them. No, I, I, know. I just, I'd, I'd respect you less if you did that, to be yeah, honest. Thank you. I'm sure that uh, we're already at such a low number, too, that I don't want to go into the negatives. Uh, Mark, what were you saying? He said it, not me. <laughs> what were you saying, Mark? Nothing. I was just going to say, uh, I just wanted you to get it in there because I think this is the last of like the looking forward calls. Get you, get you on record so you can... I know you like flexing when you're right. So I mean, I do. I do. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I think... Uh, from, look, rather than just making sort of the pithy sentence, I do think I did not expect 100T or EG... Like, basically everything that happened this weekend was incredibly surprising to me. I knew that 100T was on the come up, but I overestimated how much C9 had. And people had been talking about how C9 had been looking shaky, but I didn't expect them to just get 0-3 by 100T. 
and I definitely did not. I mean, I don't think anybody expected the uh, TLEG series to go the way it went. And I saw somebody tweet something. I think it was like one of the EG folks that tweeted like the EG that was promised or whatever. And like, it was very funny that this was the first time since the beginning of lock-in that it felt like we were seeing the EG that everyone had actually gotten hype about in the beginning. Like I remember halfway through the split, just feeling kind of down because among all the, you know, the LS stuff with C9, there was also just the fact that EG had failed to deliver on like all the, the momentum that they had going into the regular split. And, um, and so I wish that we'd seen more of the EG that we saw this weekend over the course of the regular split. And I'm curious to see if we'll be able to, to see that, um, over the next couple of weeks, if they, if they continue to stick around. So, all right, Franz, thank you so much for the call. Any, anything you want to throw out really quickly before I let you have your shout outs? Cause I know we kind of ran with your take. No, that's good. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all fair game. I I think it's uh I think it's definitely gonna be close. I just in, in a nutshell, I think Hundred T looked a little better than they actually are because of Cloud 9s regression, and I think uh, Team Liquid looked a little bit worse than they actually are because of uh, EG's sort of prep and, and shift in strategy, and then you know just just playing a little bit better than they did in the regular season. Um, but yeah, it'll be close. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Anything you want to shout out? Uh, shout out to uh, Alienware, uh, Grubhub, uh, amazing companies. Shout out to my brother uh, Sam. He's in uh, he's in England right now. What's up, Sam? Uh, thanks for thanks for doing the show. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for calling in. See ya. All right, Mark is off to grab our next caller, TJ Mackey. Thank you for the eleven months and Shadow Beam. Thank you for the fifteen. Uh, how's how's life otherwise, Papa Smith? Have you been doing anything relaxing, or is it all league-focused all the time right now? I mean, my work-life balance is terrible at the best of times, but um, it's been better. Uh, the other world's opening up a little bit. Got to get to see friends and loved ones. Doa had a birthday party the other day, so it was good to see some nice. of the old career crew and stuff like that. So, no, things are good, and team's trending up, and I don't know. Everywhere I look, there's a bit of sunshine, so I can't complain. Yeah. Trethan is here. Trethan, where are you calling from? What's up? Uh, calling from Jersey City, New Jersey. Ah, a lot of Jersey going on. Uh, what do you want to talk about on this week's episode? Um, so it's mainly a question uh, for Papa Smithy. Uh, I'm just going to read directly from my take what I said. Uh, why have a six-man roster if Tenacity is not getting stage time? I'm sure he's scrimming, being paid normally and everything, but being on stage is the main goal for players, so why keep him around if uh, someday is getting all the play time? So this oh, is a straight-up question. It's less of a take, and it's more, uh, what the yeah. hell, uh, Papa Smithy? Yeah, and, and I understand the kind of, like, uh, takes about the six-man roster and why haven't we seen Tenacity playing in the LCS and things like that, and when we announced the six-man roster, it was about how do we want to approach 2022 and how can we leverage what we have the best? And it was coming off Tenacity doing really well in EU solo queue. Um, I had some goals for what I wanted out of him when it came to the world's bootcamp. A lot of his learnings are around professionalism. And it doesn't suggest that he's unprofessional. He's just a young 18 year old, you know? Um, he had a lot to learn about how to fit into a team environment, how to be a good teammate and things like that. And that's a lot of stuff that he could work on while he was at the World's Bootcamp. And I think he nailed it. 
um and it was really really good to see how much he grew while he was there and when it came to moves and i think that north america has this a lot when i when i look at our roster i think there's very few upgrade possibilities that exist when we're talking about um domestic and residency tags you know imports and and domestic players i think not a lot of north american teams have side grade options of like okay crap my team's boom i need to get somebody else and they're like roughly the same power level but there's very few ways to upgrade a roster that's why we spend so much time and money in uh youth development at the academy and amateur level is to try to grow prospects that can be better than what exists already um and tenacity was in a really good spot and i wanted to know what it would be like if we fully integrated him to compete with the spot and i knew that someday was going to be very able to kind of take it on the chin and and play well like it wasn't going to affect his mentality he was going to still stay engaged he was going to be professional about the scenario um i did an interview right after we announced it and they were basically like how are you going to do it better than everybody else and all i really could tell was the truth which is we i talked to a lot of the teams that had done six mans before uh t1 who'd just done the 10-man roster um the same year and i understood the things that went wrong wrong previously tried to work on some areas that would be better for us and basically i knew like all the questions but not the answers you know um so that was a lot of the the thought process coming in the reality coming in was that our level in january and february even in practice was was really low um we weren't where we wanted to be as a team and one of the few anchor points we had was that someday was in career best form especially when it comes to starting up the year he's a bit of a slow starter usually and kind of works his way into a year but he was like super motivated and super on top of things from the start and one of the few ways we could scientifically work out what our issues were was to keep like the piece in the top that was working really well and kind of build from that and so naturally from there the assumptions that we made when we were putting together the six-man roster of we're the defending champions who aren't changing our roster therefore we can expect these kind of results or um you know this kind of environment things like that a lot of those assumptions were subverted pretty early and so we kind of had to pivot pretty quickly in terms of like how much time we wanted to give in each case and the other reality is is that if the six-man roster is two top laners and your top lane is clearly your best performing player in practice and on stage the moment that you want to give adequate time whether it's stage games or scrim games you kind of have to justify it to the other four who also have the things they're working on and there was no internal like feedback loop it was never a, like the players decided they wanted to play with one or the other it was it's very hard to give as much time to dynasty as he deserves because the other players need to build off what someday is bringing right now so the truth is is that situations change and evolve and uh assumptions that you come in with can be subverted quickly and from there it ended up with tenacity having to take more of a, a learning role of a reinvent himself we tried to basically every week come together and work out what's the best way to audition you into or further your learning or further your involvement in the team each week and it was never ideal it was never as much as i feel like he deserves it was never easy um and overall i look at him not being able to play a stage game in the 18 is a failure but reality is is that we had in my opinion the best performing top laner in the league 
we had a group that was settled tenacity understood his scenario and wasn't you know tilted off the moon by it or anything like he could see also where the team was at and what the player in front of him was doing and all we can do is retro from it and try to do better next time so that's the reason why i wasn't speaking up or speaking out a turn on it is that it was never fully decided who was playing till it came time to like submit the the roster you know each week and even though it went in one direction i'm still really happy we did it i'm still really happy that we tried to make it work because it was the best fit for what tenacity was growing into the end result of him playing no stage games that's the part that feels bad you know like but at the end of the day at least we can say that we had a top player that was performing at a really amazing level i think there's a lot of people who are obviously disappointed uh, because tenacity has been considered by folks to be one of like the exciting prospects uh for mm -hmm. north american native talent uh over i don't know the past couple of years and so while understandable that like, hey, we've got someday who we think is the best top laner in the league, it doesn't make sense to not field him. I think there's a lot of people that are kind of like, well, what happens now? Is Tenacity just like, you know, he played that lock-in game uh, and then he's just like locked out for the rest of the year. So, mm -hmm. you know, what, Mark? I was say before you answer like the future of Tenacity, I'm with Raz and Twitch chat. There are a lot of people who are like, what the, this PR answer, this or that, and Raz is, is popping off about like, how was that, did not answer the question. I think Papa Smithy did a great job for people who can't understand a lot. Yeah, that answer. was a great answer. <laughs> it was it was longer than than thirty seconds, so I'll, I'll give the idiot version. Uh, they thought that they would do better than they did during the regular season, and they could put tenacity in for games. They struggled a little bit more than they expected, and they had to focus on trying to compete with the the main five. It's it's pretty easy to understand. The plan changed pretty early on in the season because. They, they probably got 2 0 by Dignitas. They didn't think that was going to fucking happen. You know, like these things happened and they had to pivot. And they, the, the six man roster thing went away pretty quickly. Chat, it's not that hard to understand. Papa just gave more context about like what was actually happening, which I, okay, I appreciated. Okay. I'm surprised people yes, didn't yes, get it. Yes, yes, Mark, Mark, we get it. Yeah, Chat is dope. That was, uh, yeah, back that was back to, we spent a lot of time talking about the circumstances. Uh, now I just want to ask about the future because obviously mm -hmm. people want to see Tenacity play in some way in the LCS. They're bummed he hasn't been. So do you think that, for instance, there's, I mean, uh, I think somebody in the chat was saying like, oh, you know, his best chance was to play in lock-in or spring because obviously when summer comes in, the stakes get even higher. Mm -hmm. So so do you think he, like his his 2022 chances are are basically nil now? And also is there an opportunity for him to maybe find a team in in between spring and summer if he wants to um you know how are you guys looking at his future yeah i mean a lot of that is between myself and tenacity um he, he signed a three-year deal at the start of this year based on the six-man roster and the fact that he really wanted to play on a top team and obviously i feel like i haven't been able to meet what i hoped i could meet as much as i wanted to um obviously it's much more complicated than what i want right or what I think should happen, systems go and develop as we talked about. I've already talked to him about kind of like what he would prefer the rest of the year to look like, and there's always options, right? So I think it's really about considering when we get to the off season, there's still first the question of what happens in playoffs. For example, our intention was to play him in uh, best of fives that we obviously never qualified for in the lock-in tournament. Um, that didn't happen. And that was obviously around the same time we were reframing our team around some day's performance at the time. 
is still very much the chance that he plays this playoffs. We have enough time now to try to test things out and see if things go that way. If it doesn't go that way, the most important thing for me is that Tenacity has a scenario for summer that he really he likes. Because at the end of the day, it's a player that I signed at 16, you know, for 100 these next and was the fulcrum of our amateur team. We started an amateur team largely because I saw Kenvi and Tenacity's VODs and I was like, holy crap, these guys are amazing. Um, he's a young man that I respect a lot. So when it comes to summer, if there's a perfect LCS spot for him and all the stuff works out around that, great. If it's sticking around with six-man roster, I would say right now, if we couldn't play him in 18 games, extending the six-man roster for summer doesn't seem like it's like the smartest use of his talent. So right now that's up in the air. Academy is always an option. Like I think the reality is, is that the only person who I truly care about when it comes to this scenario is tenacity. Like he's someone who needs to be respected in all of this. And I've done my best to do my part in that in the last six months. And I'm not going to let him whittle away not playing unless that's somehow the thing that both we and he think is the absolute best thing for his future. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Trethan, thank you for the call. Anything that you yeah. want to shout out before we uh, take a quick break? Yeah, of course. Uh, very quickly, uh, TSM was, in fact, at the bottom of the standings. Uh, I will take all of my awards for that. Oh, were you the one that called in the Speak episode where he called you a rat? Yeah, it's me. Okay, but you said they were going to be bottom of the standings both in spring and summer, right? Yeah, so I'm going to take my half of a W now, Mm. which is technically, I guess, a V. Uh, So I'll (laughs) take that now, and then when they get last in summer, I'll take the full W. But but they didn't get last. They got ninth, didn't they? They tied for last with Immortals. But they had the head-to-head tiebreaker. They were 2-0 over Immortals. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. Does ninth still count as the bottom half of the like the bottom two is still pretty bad? Yeah, I know. That's, no, that's, that's you, fair you call, the bottom. I'm splitting. <laughs> I know. I no. You're 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 fair to split hairs. And also, as I leave, I want to know: Does Papa Smithy like In and Out, or does he not like In and Out? Uh, the first tough, couple of times I had it when I was visiting America for casting, I wasn't really into it. Still think the fries, the dog, they suck. Um, Thank but, you. But the I think I, I happened upon a burger that I liked. It was like just the regular double-double animal style. It's pretty good. So I enjoy that when I have it, but it's not on delivery services. I don't drive. I don't seek it out that much, but if I'm there, you know, if someone really wants to go, then yeah, I enjoy it. It's fine. As long as you think the fries are bad, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Trethan, for the call. All right. Speaking of delivery services, uh, we have something that is very exciting to announce that I didn't tell Mark we were going to be announcing. Uh, but uh, let's talk about Grubhub, our sponsor. Awesome so, too. Yes, exactly. Uh, and this was not planned, by the way. It's just coincidental that Papa Smithy's on for this. Uh, Hotline League Live will be happening Saturday morning, uh, playoff or finals weekend in Houston, and it will be delivered by Grubhub. Uh, So more details to come, but if you want to watch it, I would recommend getting a ticket to the LCS. I can't can't give more details yet, but uh, that is your your best bet, is to get a Saturday ticket. Uh, And so if you are in Houston for that weekend, 
Make sure that you can go to the LCS on Saturday because uh, Grubhub will be delivering it. Now, Mark, it might be a shorter episode because uh, or we're, we'll, we're still figuring out the specifics because Mark also is going to be on the broadcast that day and it is that morning. And so we're we might only we I think right now we only have about a, an hour worth of Mark's time. So we might only be able to do an hour and then maybe we'll find some other friends or something that can fill in. But we will be doing live hotline league. So if you do want to watch it Saturday morning, you don't have to worry about booking a flight in to get in early Friday night or anything like that. Uh, so and it'll be streamed. So if you're not in Houston, you should have something to watch before the start of uh, finals or sorry, uh, the third place, not third. Yeah, I guess third place match, whatever the what is it? The losers finals. Yeah, um, well, these will watch it during our off day while we wait in the grand final. OK, fantastic. Yes, exactly. Maybe we can have you guys on or something. We'll figure it out. Uh, but either way, thank you to Grubhub for making this happen. Uh, yes, there will be guests. Uh, more details to come on that, but, uh, we will, we will have folks, uh, hopefully be able to, to come watch in person. And again, I would just recommend getting an LCS ticket for Saturday because I think you're going to need one. Uh, I can't go into more details than that. Um, but while I am here giving you this great news about live hotline league, I'm going to also give you some other great news, which is right now, April 4th. All the way through April 6th, you can use code 5TRAVIS to receive $5 off on your Grubhub order of $10 plus for the first 2,500 $2, orders. 2,500 orders. So I'm going to put that into chat right now. Uh, we'll also make sure that it is in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. So maybe what you should do right now is celebrate having Live Hotline League happen and Houston uh, at the, on finals weekend by ordering from Grubhub and saving $5 off your Grubhub order of $10 or more. Uh, so again, I, that'll be, getting, I just put it in the chat. If you want the code, I will also be putting it in the YouTube description. So there you go. But that's the big news. I dream of getting $5 off Travis for appearing on this show. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, Best rate I've gotten from Travis yet. Very clever. Uh, look, I, I, I'm excited about Mark. I mean, it's been more than two years since we've been able to. It's been, I think, three years since we've been able to do one because we didn't do one for summer 2019. We did one spring 2019. Damn, isn't that crazy? Long. Yeah, yeah. So I miss it. It's uh, the number five, Travis. Thank you for asking in the chat. Number that you want to use numeral five, Travis, one word, not five spelled out. Thank you for asking because I should have specified that. One All more right. time, Travis. Off we go to the next caller. Thank you, I'm Elvis Four, for the 45 months, and Rice for the gifted sub. Thanks everybody for the gifted subs and the primes and everything. Zenithu, is that how you say it? Zenithu? Uh, close enough, yeah, yeah. Close enough. Where are you calling from? Calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What do you want to talk about on the show? Uh, I kind of wanted to ask Papa about the amateur system and why 100 Next and EG Prodigies seem to work while C9 and TSM completely left the system. Do you want to sure. elaborate at all or do you want to just throw that question straight at him? Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously it seems like 100 Next and EG Prodigies have had a lot of like success with EG bringing up Danny, who's already top five in his position, and 100 X having three junglers in two years that have all seen LCS playtime. 
but C9 and TSM, they were in it for about a year last year when we saw some orgs get into it, like uh, IMT sponsoring the AOE organization, and I believe it was Dignitas sponsoring Mirage. But apart from Mirage leaving to go to the LFL, I believe, uh, only IMT, EGP, and 100X seem to have stayed. So I, I'm wondering what makes these organizations believe it as a worthy investment, and why do you think maybe C9 and TSM may have not seen that value? Which might not be easy for you to answer, but yeah. Oh, I'm I'm happy to answer. And first, shout out to Zenithu. He's from the Hundred Thieves Discord, uh, and a <laughs> much more sultry voice than I expected. The voice for radio. So consider host, hosting a podcast at some point. But uh, <laughs> to answer your question, I think that we had a very clear reason we got into amateur, and I kind of hinted at it before, is that we looked at the kind of um, iterative nature of the LCS, where especially at the time when I joined in 2019, it was like, if you don't have these two domestic players, like the only ones, there's like one in each role, maybe more in jungle at the time, that were like competitive with imports. If you didn't have, say, two of those, it wasn't really feasible for you to put together a competitive roster. I guess the simple version of that is, if you had Bjergsen and Doublelift, that was really OP, because you could build around those really easily. Um, and 100 Thieves didn't have those. We had Someday and Bang at the time, who were both imports, and our resident players were all looking at changing. So given that, it was like, okay, how about we bring in these players who are too young for academy or have full-time schooling, so can't commit to a full-time program, and see where it leads, because we need to grow ourselves options for the future. Um, and I guess the reason that we've stuck with it and probably the reason that EG Prodigies or EG have stuck with it is that we understood what we were getting into in terms of the ecosystem because full remote, um, no in-person systems are just harder. They're harder to manage. It's harder to work out who's doing their job and who's not. Um, you don't have group accountability in the room like there is with coaches. Um, and then there's no contract rights. You can't get like a three-year contract on an amateur player or anything like that. So when it comes to what is your asset or what are you solving for, it's a lot more nebulous. It's a lot less straightforward. Um, but we just had the thought that if it's going to be grow to a spot where we're a contender, spending money on side grades is more likely going to be the option we have. And if we want us, if we have to spend money on side grades, that feels bad. Why don't we grow ourselves options? You know, rookie players who have upside and who have things about them that make us want to audition our current starting players against. And then every split or every year have hard decisions about how do we deal with all these talented young players? Like, what's the correct way for us to integrate them? And you've seen us try and on um, you know six-man rosters or can we still an academy? Or we've tried lots of different things, and we'll continue to try. Um, but we're creating good headaches for ourselves because we want to be a contender team at the top. And so given that we don't have to think about buyouts or treat these um, amateur players' assets in the same way, as long as players are transitioning from our amateur team to our academy team each year, and in this case to other academy teams and to LCS teams, then we know the program is success. I think the final piece is for one of our amateur players to be a starter for us in the LCS. That's like the gold standard, and we haven't gotten there yet. So I look at the people who say that our amateur program is a failure, 
and say that there's some kind of validity to that. I think we do have to complete the final bit, but investing in 16-year-olds or a 15-year-old like Sniper, it's going to take time for us to refine our process, and not every super rookie is going to hit for us if we're looking to contend for top three every year. And so given that, we just kind of knew what we were getting into and kind of innovated the space a little bit. And I think EG have been even more assertive than us in promoting players straight to the LCS, like Danny last year or JoJo after a year. And I think there's stuff for us to learn from them as well. And so I would love to see other orgs get into the space, but my instinct around teams like C9 and TSM that came and went is that they came to the end of the year. They didn't instantly want to add any of those players to their academy team or their LCS team. And since the other ones just fall through, right, because the contracts expire at the end of the year, they probably retroed it and say, well, we didn't get anything out of this. And I think that's sad. And maybe they could approach the program differently on a second time. But so far, we've been happy about how things have gone and waiting for the ultimate success to kind of rubber stamp it as a massive thing for 100 Thieves. Yeah, do you think it's disappointing that we don't see more teams playing in the space like you and EG? I think not every team has the money to be able to put into a program that has no obvious upside for your LCS team. You look at Academy and some teams invest in it and some teams don't. Some teams take it very seriously and promote internally, some teams don't. I think that a third team, again, because it's less discoverable, it's like more on the periphery, is harder to manage. It can end up being a headache. I think that every team was an amateur. Would it be a better thing for NA? Yes. But I think ultimately asking that of 10 teams when we don't even have 10 teams trying to win each year or with a clear plan towards winning each year, it's kind of fanciful, you know? Like I, I'm really proud that my org sees the value and allows us to invest in it, but expecting another nine to do so is it's just not realistic, I think. Zenithu, I don't know if this answers your, your question. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, very good. Easy, easy call. Uh, anything you <laughs> want to shout out before we uh, go on to our next caller? Shout out to the 100 Thieves Discord. See him repping it in the uh, chat right there. Uh, shout out to the dads over at 100 Talk Podcast. Uh, it's pronounced 100 Talk, not 100 T Talk for the analyst desk next time. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Is that me? <laughs> Was it Mark Zimmerman I, that was failed you? It was you, Jat, maybe. <laughs> okay. Sounds, yeah, of course. Of course I it was Jat. It's probably Jat. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for the call, and we'll catch you next time. For sure. All right. Off Mark goes to grab the next caller. Uh, no more subs for me to shout out, so uh, we will just sit here in awkward silence. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, just kidding. Torment is here. Torment, where are you calling from? Uh, Gainesville, Florida. Gainesville, Florida. What do you want to talk about on the show? Um, so my take was that Summit is the most overrated player in the LCS right now. Oh, here's the Summit take that Mark mentioned. Okay. Go go on. Why is he overrated? Um, well, I think, okay, the first thing I want to say is, like, you can be a good player and still be overrated. Same way sure. as you can be like a bad player and under and uh, who would it be some other players you think are very overrated? Um, who he? Mm hmm. Okay. Any um, any more? That's probably like mainly. I think people are just down on the LCS in general. But when like Summit came in, people were like, "Oh, this guy's like one of the best top laners in the world," right? I mean, like I remember I would dominate saying like 
you know, all of the LCK top teams would benefit from having Summit on their team instead of their current top laners. And so, like, you go from there to, like, to now, and look how much, like, worse he is. Like, he was the main liability on C9 this week and the past week. So, uh, Torment, how upset are you going to be if he ends up winning MVP? I think he deserves to win MVP. Oh, okay. Okay, wait. wait <laughs> that... How can someone be overrated and the MVP? That, that, really that threw me off. I was not expecting that. That was hilarious. Okay. No, okay. So. Okay, go for it. I think he was, like, the most valuable player, right? Yes. In those 18 games, I think he was the best standout player by far. But, you know, people were saying he's, like, one of the best top leaders in the world, which he obviously isn't. And okay. so if you go from, like, if you look at, like, the delta between where people thought he was before to where, like, he actually is now that we've, like, found his weaknesses, right? Um, I think that's, like, the biggest delta there is in LCS okay. right now. So so you're, it's basically the take is, like, yeah, he's maybe, you would say, like, the best top laner in LCS, but that doesn't put him anywhere near as competitive globally as you think that people seem to yeah, consider he and, is. like... This isn't. This is like a known thing, you know. He's always been a peck below like the top LCK top laners. Like he was always below Khan, Nuggery. Um, he was below the T1 top laner last last year too. Um, Papa Smithy, Mark, do you guys think? I mean, obviously, Torment had the Dom example, but oh yeah, I, and Keen, Keen, I forgot. Him. Do you, Do you think that there? I I had not heard other people really trying to to put summit into the conversation for like top world best players or anything like that. I haven't heard that out of anyone's mouth that I trust. So I'm not sure where torment heard that from. Um, and I might've just roasted someone accidentally, but if that's like, if that was like a Reddit thread that people were saying that stuff, like fair enough, they're overrating him. But I didn't, I didn't hear that from any like analysts or anything. I could be mistaken. Torment, have you yeah, heard it, it elsewhere? Yeah, it was on Face Check mm. with Dom and um, LS. But... Gotcha. Okay. Well, can't trust them anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did look like one of the best top laners, and you know, if you give him his, like, two-trick champs, of course he's going to be, like, really well. And it's like, last year Last year was the same thing. You know, he played, I think, like, 39 games of Renekton Nar, and then less than 10 games on everything else. Yeah, I mean, look, this guy has always had a limited effective champion pool. It's just a reality of Summit his whole career, like you say. Um, I think it's it's interesting for you to choose this moment to call him really overrated, but kind of counterbalance your point by rewarding him. Because he is, if he does win regular season MVP, it's super well-deserved. I think the MVP announcement timing needs to be looked back at because we felt bad about Speaker at the end of last year, and now we feel bad about summit in a more obvious way right because he obviously uh kda wise which everyone can see is very bad um in the last few games but i haven't heard the take that he's one of the best top players in the world if it came from ls it's his player or a player he brought on right so he's always going to be a bit more flowery positive um this to me strikes me as one of those moments where something is taken out of context or something is like uh words in a sentence are focused on like he's looking like one of the best top players in the world and it's like okay now i believe this person has fought that through and fully believes that on every level he's one of the best top players in the world when it's probably just hyperbole most of the time right mm -hmm. um i cast the 
LPL and the OPL at the same time. So the Australian League and the Chinese League. And this is when the LPL was the second best league in the world by far. And the OPL was uh, not doing so good. And I found it hard as a color caster to be like, how do I compliment the OPL player when like he's way like it's it's I'm later tonight I'm talking about one of the best players in the world like Deft and then like the best AD carry in Oceania at the time um and the thing I would always say is like wow he's looking like the best in our region you know you have to add the last bit you can't say he's the best in the world or or sell a false um sale of goods and I think with Summit he's lane dominating in a way that other people aren't in the league. Like he was seminal and unique in the league and how he could solo win games kind of without jungle resources, which is really, really easy on the eye. And he's so clearly like in a one V nine scenario, looks like a Smurf that I think the MVP makes perfect sense. Coming back to your point about overrated. If he, let's say they bust her out of playoffs. You can say his regular season form wasn't predictive of his playoffs. You know, I was disappointed. Um, or call him overrated based on that, that full entire thought. But to call him an overrated player when he came into a region not speaking English and won MVP, that's the part where I can't kind of like leave that statement hanging like it is. It feels disingenuous to what we've seen, which is, holy shit, an amazing eight weeks, a tough two weeks. Now we're calling the player overrated. Like that, I just can't wrap my head around that sometimes. Maybe it's because I'm old. I don't know. No, uh, I mean... I, okay. I was ready to come in and fully disagree with the caller, but he, he at least conceded the MVP is deserved. And maybe some people, like you said, context of how this the conversation like, was said, we're not sure of. But if people are saying, you know, oh, he's, he's now one of the best in the world, you know, like he proved he's the best top laner in the LCS and proved he's MVP. International competition, I don't think he's ever gone, any of the teams no. he's ever been on. So you wouldn't no. have ever actually even seen him in the context that you would start saying those kinds of things. Um, so I, I would agree then that that is overrating him. If that's like, if people are straight up saying that, then I'd agree. Yeah. He was getting overrated. Um, but I do think there was one other little nugget you worked in there, Torrent about, um, being, I think you said, and I don't want to misquote you that like he was one of the biggest reasons they lost that series against, um, uh, hundred thieves. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that'd be it. I think you were say. saying he was a liability for them the yeah. past two yeah. weeks. I mean, closer walk top, he died once, which is like fine, that can happen. But then he just walked top again and died again, and then just kept going. And like, I mean, to a certain extent, you can blame other people, but when you end up like 070 and then like 06 and one or something in the first two games, like some of that has to be on you. On you. I agree, but let me let me ask a question. Let's say he always plays the same style, ideally on Jason R as he does on Renekton, where he'll overpush, he'll um, attack the enemy under their turret, be overextended, and if it goes good, he just wins the game 1v9, you know, not even with a lot of jungle resources. If it goes badly, he'll feed. And that's, I think that's a fair summation. People have kind of said that's their estimation of him right now. I think, I if think he's, he's been doing that the whole time. Uh, agreed. Really. And if, but if he's won games off his own bat, you know, as a cricket term, but you know, won games alone, doing that style... Is it on him to change or is it on his team to work around his limitations or his reality better? Because if the payoff is you just win, like if, if with nothing happening, you can just win more often than you lose, and then the enemy counter programs against you, shouldn't you be kind of taking advantage of that or being able to kind of be the next level, next level there? 
Like, that's the thing. It's like, sure, there's a world where he plays Orn and gets pushed in, but then is he a, actually a huge force? You know, like, then is he actually going to be a reason you win? And are we sure the other people can step up? Like, if that's the only style you've played all split, I'd put it more on the other four people setting him up to carry harder, especially as a band-aid as we go into playoffs, rather than, you know, the, the other summation of calling him overrated. Because I think he's going to play this way the rest of the weeks, and they need to find a way to get the most out of it. Yeah, to, I mean, oh, you, can, you can go. Okay, I was going to say, to put it another way, it's like plan A is give Summit all the resources to carry and hope he does it. And obviously that didn't happen this week. And that's I think it's fine to say that didn't happen. Summit had a bad series. He's a big part of that loss. But I think the problem for me is I go, what's their plan B? And I have not been convinced all split long. C9 is capable of crafting a plan B. Not, not like they're too dumb or anything, but I just mean like, I don't think when you're playing the other best three teams in the league, 100 Thieves, TL, and EG, a plan B will actually beat them in a five-game series. Like, the bot lane has absolutely no propensity for winning lane that we have seen. And that's not a shot at Berserker. I think, I think Berserker's really good. I don't think Winsome's very good. I was talking about this in the uh, on uh, Blame Game and I was recording it. Charitably, you would power rank him as the best seventh, the seventh best support in the league behind every other playoff bound one. And then, like, you start putting him into like the Poom, Destiny, Shenyi kind of conversation realistically. Um, yeah. And, and Fudge has had good games, but it's almost always in supplement to Blabber or Summit. He's never felt like really he's been the engine. So, like, if you're saying, oh, you know, Summit can only play this one style, people will camp top, he'll make mistakes. What is plan B that you think C9 can do? Because I, I haven't seen it. Um. Well, I think there's there's, like, a few approaches, right? So, like, the first one is... You can try to put Summit on like a more carry oriented top lane or like I mean Renekton isn't really oh, something so you'd want to carry with, right? I think that's exactly what Papa and I are saying. That's plan A. Make plan A better. Do a better plan A. Make him play Camille, Jackson to the instead of banning Trinomir, play Jackson to it. Give it to give it to somebody and then counter pick him and, and try and oh, turbo stomp him in lane. Oh, to spend the whole week practicing red side, right? Like clearly they yeah. ha have not been playing red side or split and blind pick nar and jace seems to be disabled for them for the rest of the playoffs based on you know what you would expect they now can choose red side and let's see some more wacky picks i mean there are definitely counter picks to blind orn like we did right yeah, yeah so i think another like i don't know how well this would work out but you know the lineup originally came in as like this like 10 man unit where like they'd swap in pieces in and out all the time maybe it's time you know we see that zven isles um bot lane that you know they've been screaming the whole split basically i think this and, is a different a different topic you're heading us into no I'm, I'm just talking about like different approaches where like you could let summit carry but if you don't want to do that or you can't do that then you can't let the bot lane carry with winsome i don't think that's going to happen well here i'll i'll wind out the conversation by continuing uh what papa smithy was saying earlier which is you know if if Summit comes in and he's constantly wearing a baggy green and he's throwing beamers and bouncers into the cow corner, this is a player that you can't dismiss. You know, I think I think that's kind of where Papa Smithy was going earlier with the uh, the cricket analogies. If I'm if I'm correct, I mean the long and short of it is is just to 
finalized the point that he's making is they're not going to make big roster changes after losing a playoff best of five in spring. Like they have to see this through. And I think seeing it through in the short term has to be so much more nuanced than why don't they sub in Darshan Malice or Sven Isles or whatever it is that people are suggesting. But those are heavy handed takes. You kind of, you gut an entire team's culture by doing that right at the end. Cause then suddenly you have an entirely different culture than you set up the whole year around. I think make the nuance changes and get more out of the piece that's working. Cause if it's literally this piece has a chance to just win you the game, then I think that's a pretty good piece. Like that's the one you need to focus on because the other ones haven't proven they can do that apart from when it's set up for them by the first piece. So, yeah. Uh, and, and one final thing, just because I flamed Winsome a little bit there. I don't think that what I was saying there means that they need to ditch the Winsome project. I think that they always knew he was a bit of a project player and uh, he hasn't been playing for very long and he straight, came straight from uh, amateur to LCS. Like he's made a big leap and I think Winsome will get better. But I'm just stating in the short term, if you're going to construct how to win best of fives in playoffs, I'm not convinced that they could start giving him Lucian Nami and that they would play that lane correctly like I'm confident 100 Thieves can do to swap away from it if someday it's not going to be the focal point for a series. Thanks so much for the yeah. call, Torment. Anything you want to shout out? Uh, not really. Um, yeah. Well. I was gone. cool having fans in LCS, but no. Yes, that was. Thank you so much for the call, and we'll catch you next time. Yep, see ya. I didn't get even any little bit of a reaction out of you, Papa Smithy, for my attempt at cricket slang. No, I don't respect okay. you enough for that. Okay, fair enough. Do, okay. you, do you think a, a, a dingo ate a baby? A fudge's baby? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Mark, go grab our last call. Uh, I used to tilt the shit out of Rusty saying shit like that. Oh my god. I like that that got her laugh. The, the most cliche, stupid Australian, like borderline insensitive line from Mark uh, gets something out of you, but uh, the cricket attempts don't. I'm they so... do not. Sorry. I'm, you should watch a cricket video. Let's end this goddamn show. Okay, no. Uh, Dave is here. Dave, where are you calling from? Calling from the home site of group stage and quarterfinals of Worlds this year, Midtown, New York City. Midtown. Well, do we know if it's going to be in Midtown? Yes, it is going to specifically be in the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, which is an amazing venue. If you have, everybody's confused on where it's at, check it out. It is going to be incredible. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, maybe it'll be broadcast on Hulu. Uh, what do you want to talk about on the show? I want to address Papa Smithy's comments that the general discussion around Champions Q has turned into a witch hunt, which I personally don't believe it has. I believe it has. I believe it's Travis's fault for making the videos. Well, there it is. Uh, the the witch hunt has now turned to me. Okay. Uh, no, Dave, go ahead and expand on this and maybe provide a little bit of context for people who don't go to Reddit every day. Yeah. So full disclosure first, I am so somewhat biased on this topic, given that I provide the data for Travis's video on this. So a little bit impartial when it comes to this. But the... The general public sentiment has turned against certain players who have not played any games of Champions Q, notably including Fudge and a few other uh, players. Danny, I believe, either had minimal yeah, games the, or no the games. The Danny public comments spawned a pretty strongly worded yes. Reddit thread. So, the witch hunt started after players responded. I want to first address that calling out players, or at least publicly providing the data that they are not playing Champions Q, did not lead to this. It was the answers provided by the players 
that did this. I understand the philosophy that there are many different ways to practice, and that is perfectly fine. Whether you're not playing Champions Q and you're doing one-on-ones, fodder views, obviously there's a ton of different ways to do it, or even if you aren't practicing as much, that's also fine as well, so long as you're showing up on stage. It's when people give answers that are contradictory to the whole intention of Champions Q, or against the general mindset of what we would expect a pro player to be, that causes problems. For example, Danny specifically said that he doesn't want to play Champions Q because he wants to play solo Q with weird or like off-meta picks, things that he wants to try out. The problem is you have now removed all of the top pros from solo Q during the times at which he's saying that he's going to play this, especially on a lower MMR account. So these picks that you want to try and bring to the LCS stage at an LCS caliber, you can't possibly get that practice anymore because you're not trying it against the people that are at least of similar skill to what you're going to see on stage. I get there is a vocal minority of people who have come out and publicly flamed players for that. Obviously, you can't fully control what people say online, but I think it is rightfully right to call out these mismatches of information and these weird logical steps that players can sometimes be taking here. So I think from my perspective, the comment I was making was a very zoomed out one, just because it kind of, to me, parallels how co-stream culture evolved and then theoretically devolved and is now like being reframed, I guess, in 2022. I was really happy when Champions Q was announced. Um, I saw a huge groundswell. Everyone's super hyped. Finally, it's everything North America asked for. Low ping comms you know everything right no more excuses put up or shut up that was kind of the gist of it and the fans were really excited when we saw things like um i think it was like hans and summit saying like this is better than eu solo queue this is better than korean solo queue it's kind of like the vince mcmahon meme gif where it's like getting more excited you're like oh, okay and like for once north america had something that um the world was taking note of and were impressed with because north america in the league of legends context has really had none of that for a very very long time so it was the first public kind of like positive circle jerk i guess you would call it that has happened um about league of legends related topics for a long time and so it's nice to see a positive groundswell just like i think in general there's been a positive groundswell this year um but the reality is is that after that press cycle goes on, then it's the EU, Korean, Chinese players who are going to say, why don't we have this? You know, that's like the counter, the counter like um, press cycle that happens is the people who are like, okay, yeah, I got that. the board of everyone saying nice things about Champions Q. Why don't we have our own version, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I'm next, which makes perfect sense. I think every region should have it. Um, and then... The part that got me to tweet this is like, we went from like overwhelming positivity, so people got over it, and then it's like latent toxicity that they don't have it, but whatever, we got over that too. And then now the circle jerk or the discussion has been um, accountability of players. And Ole was the one who kind of like launched this topic, right? We're basically asking why aren't players playing it as much as I play it, which is a super fair question. This Ole has always had an amazing work ethic on every team he's played. And, and he wants to be there from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. spamming games. And I have players on my team that do the same. And to them, I look at them and I'm like, wow, great work ethic. They're trying to get better and all these things. But unfortunately, 
when it's a large community, it's very hard for them to intellectually or honestly take a comment like that and apply it correctly, you know, and ask questions or be respectful of the group that they're discussing. They just kind of hold everyone to the ultimate standard of they do that in Korea, China, or Ole says they should do that. And then it's suddenly, could everyone please audit their time from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. every single player? If you could please just form an orderly queue, fill in this form. I see a three-hour gap here. Was that a movie? And maybe if it's fine, it's a movie. You were chilling on YouTube? No, no. Kill this man is kind of the the way it's gone. And it's, it's, it's a little latent things. You know, people are asking for more info, but then you mentioned kind of like Travis's information post. People asked for that to be justified. And then whenever there's an interview, it's like the trending question to ask anybody who isn't a known Champions Q grinder is... Why aren't you playing Champions Q? And that's, of course, going to be the clickbait title as well, right? It's going to be about that topic because it's a trending topic. It's Travis doing his job. But it's people that kind of have some bullets in the chamber and they're looking to unload on the kind of person they can. And the reason why I tweeted it is that in the same day, Danny and Fudge commenting on it, I think the Fudge interview was probably recorded like four or five days earlier. The Danny interview seemed like it was... Uh, a tweet or something, I think. Yeah, it was a that tw was like, Twitter conversation or tw series of tweets. Um, you know, went public, and both of them are like, fuck this person for not keeping up to this level that I expect of my idea of what a pro player is. You know, it's coming from the community here who aren't pro players, right? And still understanding what a routine and things look like. And that's the part where it kind of, the full press cycle from like, wow, Champions Q, amazing. This is such fertile ground for our players to get better have become, no, let's make sure that anybody who's not using this to the level I've decided is correct is terrible and should be killed. And it's like, how did we go from this happy thing to this terrible accountability culture? And that, that's why I, I tweeted what I did is, if I have players who don't play Champions Q, I kind of want to poke them and ask why, because it seems amazing, right? There's so much good to it. And for the people who were looking for 8-ping practice, this is a godsend. I've had players on my team who, I, I, I think of um, Ryoma when he came over, um, who was telling me, Chris, it's so hard to practice my champions like Yasuo and Silas and my melee carries, because on 60-ping, it's not the same as on 8-ping. And then I feel pressured to play... Um, control mages because I can get consistent practice on 60 ping and then end up becoming more of a control mage player because that's just what I can practice in my off time. And for players who want to play melee champions, holy crap, 8 ping is amazing. So it's a huge upgrade for them. So they actually do have a, a way to like get productive practice out of that. Then you have other players who are like super involved in comms all day. Like let's say a support or a jungler, like they're super involved in comms all day. Should they be playing another five hours of really intense comms-based um, practice, which is like really taxing on the mind? Should they be playing 12 hours a day, five days in a row, and then play a stage game? Is that the ideal practice thing for them? Because no other region is doing that, right? They're playing solo queue that doesn't have voice comms. And the all-in on Champions Queue is there. Like there was definitely like four weeks of Champions Queue, the first split of Champions Queue. If you weren't playing Jinx Ophelios, it was like trolling. Like your whole team is basically saying you have to pick, you know, the OP uh, hyper carry trade. And for someone who wants to try to break the meta, you're going to get a lot of um, 
sarcastic comments or pushback on it or people shit talking you after the fact uh as always happens with all of these things and some people just don't want to opt into that they want to opt out of it and have their own methods and my final point launching off all of that is if you don't play champions q and you have your own methodology and play bad i can point to champions q and say there was something awesome for you to use you chose not to use it that's a reflection on you and you should be judged for it if you have your own ways to learn and you play good on stage and you're a good teammate and all those other things i don't actually have a place to come in and say yeah well that all worked but like where the fuck were your champions q games like that's the part that i don't like is when it's danny and fudge who are clearly playing good on stage i think you have to first let that person kind of go through their own journey of how they want to practice the correct practice for me is not the correct practice for somebody else and then after the fact if the results don't echo what they say is the best trust the fact that their orgs are in there trying to, dis to diagnose it as well and then if ultimately that doesn't work sure then we can start with the execution squad that we're going on but right now i just didn't like the fact that if you talk about champions Q, it's like a negative automatic association in my head compared to like three months ago one of the things that i i wanted to talk about on the circle jerk stuff is like i i don't depending on the level of response from people uh for instance people that are just like get the na players out of here they're just stealing paychecks you know that stuff is kind of annoying i don't mind too much people at, like in my mind i think it makes sense that if a player is not using champions queue mm -hmm. they should in an interview or on a podcast or even just on twitter be like oh yes i know there's a ton of hype around champions queue i understand why people are confused why i'm not playing here's what i do um, but I do think instead, or here's, here's why I don't play it. I do think that the witch hunting that I am frustrated with that I saw that was really concerning to me in that Danny thread was somebody linked like an out of context clip of Shenyi being frustrated by another player. And it apparently, according to Reddit, it was Yakino, Yakuno cat. He's a, six... a really talented young 16 year old zoomer who's still working out what it is to be a pro. Yes. And, and people in there were just like. Oh yeah, this person's just goofing around, not taking the game seriously. You can see like Shenyi wanting to choke whoever was talking, and uh, it's just like it. Be like that's where I start. There's a well, difference between Fudge. Why don't you play Champions Q games and like let's fucking find the 16 year old and use this out of context clip to like want to talk about how terrible they are and how they're ruining our region. The thing about that too is they like they they're. Shenyu was laughing about that by the end. He actually is friends with Yakuno Cat. Oh, not like friends, but like they're on comms all the time and they yeah. troll each other. And like, not everyone is always turbo tryharding. Uh, Tomio is apparently a big troll too. Oh, like yeah. a troll that people like playing with because he's funny. You know, like people are not like that. Like, like it is tryhard, but it's not like people never troll sometimes. And like, uh, that was a situation where like, I'm pretty sure if you watch like the next 10 seconds after that clip, Shenyi's like laughing and they're like they're just back to playing the game yeah and I think and with, with that with that sort of stuff like Jojo plays off role as well and things like that I think of this like this is like an invite only club right and your reputation is going to be among your peers and they you're going to see them on stage or an academy or I guess the amateur and, and the LLA things are slightly different but you also have a professional reputation you're cultivating and I know that when 
it comes to off season and I'm talking about signing a player that's already playing in LCS or Academy, I'm going to ask my pros, hey, like you played with this guy in Champions Key, you were in comms with him. What do you take? Like, what can I learn about this player from that? And I think everybody is also kind of putting themselves out there and being judged. And if you act like a dick, you'll get you'll get kind of judged for it, you know? Like, that's, that's the reality there is people are proving themselves in a, a semi-serious context at all times. And the final bit of do you do it all intentionally? Do you practice your effective champion pool or new champions or whatever? That's on every individual to decide the tuning on. Hey, I, have, so, I do have a question for you, Papa Smithy, just about what... Okay, go ahead, Mark. You're making a face. I feel like I haven't had much talk about on this episode, so I'm trying to dive in. So, so go all right, go second. ahead. Go ahead. I'll just okay. leave. No, no, no. Don't I'll, leave. I'll, I'll catch you next week. Uh, okay. What... Uh, there's a... Okay. Over the years, we've heard time and time again, here's why we shouldn't be mad at our pro players for underperforming at Worlds. And obviously one of the biggest ones is there's, okay, our solo queue sucks. And everybody's like, okay, give him a break because the solo queue sucks. Then this thing comes out and it's like, okay, cool. We fucking fixed it. And it's like what you were saying. It's like, now we finally got something up on these other regions that we could be proud of. Um, and I'm, I think there's a lot of concern that you end up with this atrophy because this system has been tried before, right? Like this is an elevated system of something that like, uh, I think TSM and Golden Guardians have both tried to do their own spin on. There was always this Discord bot, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's this concern of like, you said at the start of this, like now that teams are busting out, like nobody's playing Champions Q. And, mm -hmm. and so it's a little scary because it's not always just a situation. I, I think for some fans, it's a little scary of like, okay, what, well, maybe Danny doesn't want to play it because he's got a better system and like Fudge doesn't want to play it because he wants a better system. But you end up in a situation where like enough people stop dropping and like the queue times become so long or yep. just non-existent that the whole system fails. And then it's just like, wow, like if only people could have bought in on this, we would have actually had something. And so I don't oh. know what you say about, you know, to, to those concerns because I do think that they are somewhat valid. Here, here's what I'll say, because it's a very nuanced topic. Like the, the people I'm attacking are the people who are like, um, or at least tweeting, you know, tweeting directly at are the people who are like attacking players who I think have proven themselves. What I will say is, is that Champions Q existence removes excuses. There is no more ping. There is no more good training environment to play in. That has now been solved for. So I think Riot did a fantastic job there. And that is no longer an excuse that can be used for North America's lack of international competitiveness. So that, that's the one thing I'll say on that particular topic. To what you're saying, all, all I believe is, is that if a player is playing well on stage, let's ask them about why they don't use Champions Q and try to learn from it. Because I don't think Champions Q is a one-stop solve for North America being better. I'm not just talking about, yeah, we need more players, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying that playing 12 hours a day with comms fully intentionally, only playing your best champions isn't necessarily the best way to improve. It's a way to improve, but it isn't necessarily the best way. And it's certainly not the best way for everyone. So I just like to keep things a little bit more open and respectful and say, okay, players not playing well on stage. Are they playing Champions Q? All right, they're not. That's concerning. What about, so let's say I'm, I'm looking at a player, and for whatever reason, I'm looking at a player who didn't play very well in the last split, and they didn't play a lot of Champions Q. When I go to their org, 
or the player, I'm going to have a lot of questions that they're going to have to answer or get over the hump on for me to actually consider this player. Like, it is a very concerning thing to see. But I don't think that holding the accountability to the top performers on the amount of Champions queue is valid either. Like, I think we just have to be nuanced in how we approach this and appreciate that we have something awesome here. Now, to your final question, Travis, of like, does it really suck that four teams are out and there's one game an hour? Of course it does. And I don't really know the reason for that. And it does annoy me. But I imagine if I polled pro players, which I haven't done yet, they would say, I don't have to play for my job right now because I'm not playing a match this week. And I kind of want to turn my brain off. So I don't really want to get in comms. Now, could they just not get in comms and play Champions queue? Yes. The queues are longer. You do get judged by your peers for not getting in comms. So I think it's like a half excuse, but I'm guessing that's what the half excuse would be. And I'm sad that that's enough to get one game an hour. It's not a good sign for North America. Mark. I have permission to speak now? Yes. Thanks. Uh, I agree uh, about a lot of what you guys are saying. I think, um, I, I, like I said earlier on, am definitely a volume appreciator. And I know that's not always the kosher thing to say in Western League of Legends. Mm -hmm. uh, and I definitely think that there are people who could probably just straight up need a kick in the ass, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these these players were on teams that were not winning or they have deficiencies in their game that would be helped out greatly by a system like Champions Q. For example, I was watching the FOD review from the series, EG versus, or, excuse me, 100 Thieves versus C9. And I watched Fudge not have a single macro-based ultimate on his rise for the entire second game. I watched his first offensive one be in a team fight 24 minutes in, in a game where they need to snowball. And I'm thinking, hey, you know what might have helped that more than some 1v1s? Was learning how to use your ultimate in more unique situations to actually snowball a game. Maybe you can learn how to shadow a Renekton lane and pull a dive off instead of just running mid every single time you reset off the wave or the lane that you want to go to. And maybe when the game is Doom, but you have open Nexus, maybe you'll have more situations that you've seen that are not 1v1s or strictly scrims. You will have gotten to sloppy situations because no one ever scrims sloppy situations. As soon as the game gets sloppy, they kill scrims. 1v1s, you're not late game. Solo queue and champions queue, that game's not open, so that, ne that Nexus explodes. You start getting in weird situations. Maybe you could have tried to rise Realm Warp into the back of the base when you had the open Nexus. And I look at these situations, and I look at his practice methods that I'm aware of. Doesn't play a ton of solo queue. He's at 140 through the, the whole season one so far. No champions queue games, really. And I go, hmm, maybe you should have done some more practice like that. And I look at the TSM numbers, and I hear that excuse that they're, that doesn't count to the required solo queue numbers. And I then I do a little digging. I find out that's bullshit and that's not true. Uh, and just either double if got it wrong or speak a lie to him. And I look at that team playing terribly. And I look at them not putting in more work than the team's playing better than them. And I go, hmm, I'm a little disappointed at them. And I think that's totally fair for fans and pundits and people to do in those situations. To your point about nuance, like I don't think someone like Danny deserves that flame. And I think that thread was a little ridiculous. Even if some of the logic he was using, I can see people having some issues with. I think at the end of the day, he's performing. Um, yeah, I mean, Shenyi and uh, TakeOver were playing a lot, to be clear. Mm -hmm. um, when I say the TSM guys, I'm, I mean, you can look at Travis's numbers to see who I'm talking about. Um, but like, yeah, that, that whole thing that blew up about their 
Champions queue games, not counting to solo queue. One, Shenyi was like, what? Dominic was like, what? And now I've asked around and yeah, I can confirm. That's just not true. I don't know. I can't believe that like blew up as much as it did without a counter circle jerk ever coming out. But yeah, they could play Champions queue as much as they wanted. They chose not to. The TSM members chose not to for whatever reason. And I think the example you used is good with the fudge um, ults. Like I think that's a really interesting point. I'd be concerned if you were the first to notice that. I would hope that, you know, they have a really good coaching staff at C9. They play a lot of scrims and scrims rod reviews. That's one of the first things that the coach will bring up is the rise ult. I know that we, we say those words plenty of times in our reviews there too. Would Champions Q have made it better? Almost certainly. So I think it's fair to say that that's like a very valid take that's like, fully kind of like uh, shown, even if there's probably nuance around it. It's just, those are not the takes that most people are making, you know, they're much more- <laughs> Yeah, that you're responding to, yeah. And, yeah. and then and then even your example of like how many solo cube games he plays, this guy could have eight accounts, right? That's what I was always scared of, was when I was prepping as a caster, I would run every single Korean player's solo queue accounts that were visible and then say, hey, he's been playing this recently, or this person's uh, must be playing on another account. Like I give, I'd be high expectations. I'd be, oh, they're playing on a secret account. Now there's a chance they're not playing at all. Like I don't, I don't know. But if I say they're not playing at all and it's a secret account, then I'm the asshole. You know, like then I'm just fully selling a fake narrative on a player. So yeah. I think with Fudge, I'm really confident he's practicing a lot. The one-on-ones, the part that I don't really understand. That was kind of a licorice initiative, and it seems like he's taking it on. I haven't interacted with a player like that. But I also don't think he's chilling. Fudge is not the type to be like that. So I just use the limited information I have to be like, yep, valid thing you said there. Overall kind of like positive framing on this player because he's playing well. But there's still plenty of scenarios where I will have players that I, at the end of this year who I will ask to justify decisions around Champions Gear. And I think that's completely valid. But that's a I have all the information org thing and not a all right, Ole said this, let's get down the list and, and cancel everybody that hasn't played this amount of games. Uh, yeah, the Inquisition has occurred. Yes, okay, Dave, Inquisition. It, uh, it sounds like uh, we we agree somewhat with what you're saying, um, and then maybe we're a little more concerned about some of the more extreme witch hunty scenarios, which is maybe yeah. where your, your head's at. I mean, I just want to make the the more macro comparison. I mean, you could even use it micro within NA as a whole, but the in the spirit of the Masters going on, there was always a comparison between Tiger Woods and John Daly. Tiger Woods being the most notable grinder of in golf history. Nobody's ever practiced more than him. Nobody's ever put in more time than he has. Obviously, the results have shown. John Daly, notably, would finish up a tournament round, go have 12 beers, and show up to the Sunday round completely hungover. But there's still many examples where John Daly would beat Tiger Woods. And it's not a problem if you, A, don't practice at all. Ultimately, that's fine if you still went on stage. It doesn't matter how you do it. I think it's more of the public, the public perception and the lack of communication from players. If you don't want to play Champions Q, if you don't want to practice at all, fine. Own that. Like create a persona around it, do something to put it in the public narrative. Don't let Ole ultimately control it. If Fudge is the first one to speak out about why he's not playing Champions Q, it's a completely different narrative, completely different story arc, than it's starting from a different angle. So ultimately, at least my final say on this is, 
players just be more active and vocal on social media, promote the game more. I mean, if you ultimately think Champions Q isn't the fix and Solo Q is, well, you know what will help? Grow the game so we have, an, we have more people in North America playing Solo Q and voila. Thanks so much, Dave, for the call. Anything you want to shout out before we uh, close out the show? Uh, shout out to 100 Thieves. Hopefully they make another run for the title. Uh, we'll have a watch party here in New York City cheering you guys on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one. All right, that is the show. Mark Zimmerman, I know it's getting a little late for you. Uh, nothing. Nothing. What do you, you have nothing, nothing. to shout out. You don't want to shout out our recent success on our side project? No, I want to shout out Papa Smithy for showing up, and that's it. All right. Papa Smithy, what do you want to shout out? Uh, big shout out to all the fans who came to the studio on the weekend. It was awesome to have humans at the stadium. I believe butts and seats was said far too many times. By I agree. Captain Flowers, like, he talked about butts just an insane yeah. amount. I think he yes. should uh, retro that and maybe tone it down a little bit or find another way to get over that. But... Regardless, um, it was an amazing atmosphere, and I'm already projecting what that means for Houston. So shout out to any of our 100 Thieves fans who have since bought tickets to Houston. Um, hope to see you all out there. And yeah, we go dark for 11 days, get to watch a couple of series on the weekend and try to get better. Um, and I'm looking at our last month of play and really positive about where we can be in two weeks. But the only thing I'm certain of is the fact that uh, on the day we can we have the players who can perform and i think that's uh, a huge feather in our cap so looking forward to styling on team liquid in two weeks time there was a uh there was a moment i think where dash said butts like five times in 10 seconds there was just a lot of discussion about butts which i i agree i was like what are we even doing here okay uh shout out to our genshin impact channel because mark and i just recently had our first video go over 10k views which was uh, very cool. And then also shout out to the 17th Shard podcast, which I've been listening to a ton of lately. Uh, it's a podcast about Brandon Sanderson novels and Cosmere stuff, and I've been binge listening to it lately. So really enjoying that. Uh, stick around on stream because I'll be hanging out. And uh, thanks again, Papa Smith, for coming on. We will catch you all next week. <laughs>